This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Happy Monday morning to you. Post-Super Bowl hangover. Food hangover. As uh, BYU Sports Nation said on Friday, yeah, this needs to be the national holiday. <laughs> the I, day after. The day after. This, this is where you should have just been able to sleep in. Either move President's Day next Monday uh-huh. to today. Yeah. Or move the Super Bowl to next Sunday. Well, it seems we like... We already they, have a day off. Just move one of them and make, make it happen. Well, yeah. They, they could easily do that just by putting the Super Bowl... I mean, I guess they have to get a national referendum going here, right? To get... Because we want it to be a holiday where everybody gets the day off. Yes. You just get to go veg and figure out what the heck happened to the audio during the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We were talking about it before. We had horrible audio. So we were talking about Beyonce. Yeah. I would have loved to have heard what Beyonce was singing. I don't know. But everyone's talking about how Beyonce outshined Coldplay. Well, yeah. Like I was telling you and Bruno when Mars. we first read about it, like, what was it, four or five months ago? Yeah. When they announced they were going to have elevator music be the headliner for the halftime show. Elevator music, and then they bring out Bruno Mars, and it just it's, well. Part of the problem is the, he was the he was better than Coldplay. Also, you can't you can't put a a, a woman in a swimsuit, right? Or whatever she was wearing, yeah, <laughs> and have her and another thirty gyrating women, mm-hmm. and then just put the Coldplay guy up there. It just you're going, and Beyonce's got pipes. She's singing like crazy, right? I couldn't hear her, but she, right. they say she was singing like crazy. It just isn't fair. And then Bruno came out with his gang, and he was rocking it. If you want to see, I was just watching it on my desk, the 2014 Super Bowl halftime show with Bruno Mars. Watch that. That's a great halftime oh, yeah. show. That's why. It's interesting. They, they brought him out. They must have known that Coldplay would just be a different type of entertainment. They watched the, they watched the rehearsals and were like, ooh, I'm bored just watching them practice. Okay. Can somebody call Bruno? Call Bruno. He's busy, but we can get him. That was, ah. Uh, can I just say that was a great game? Really? Yeah. I mean, it, I, if I saw the Broncos run the ball one more time, <laughs> I was going to die. I was telling you this: if the Broncos win, they would score around twenty points. Yeah, and it would kind of be boring because they're not going to score. Their, their offense can't score points. But are you Peyton kidding Manning, me? What one hundred and forty-one yards yeah. passing? Yeah. My my brother was like, "That's all he had," and I go, "That's Peyton Manning now. Yeah, he's not the three hundred yards and five touchdowns guy. He's mm. the manager. He's the guy that goes out and doesn't make in too many but mistakes." Their defense? Are you kidding me? Yeah, shut him down to to ten points. Just ate Cam Newton up. Cam, I mean, that is amazing. They they said they uh, interviewing the players the defense afterwards. They said that they felt like they had they were in his head like the sixth play yeah, when they yeah. hit him and took oh, the ball away that. from him. They said when we walk up to we walk up to someone in a game and take the football out of his hands, yeah. and he's he's the MVP. He just got he was named the MVP that morning, and and we just walk up and take the ball away from him. He has never been rushed, or touched anything, and he goes, "We knew we had him at that point. Oh. We crushed him. We were in his head. You could see, you could see, yeah, you could see that there was a point, and there was a sack like in the third or fourth drive that you thought, okay, you're like, ouch, he's done. That's done, yeah." They're in his head. But 
he's going to be so good for so long. Oh, yeah. He'll be fine. His arm is a gun. I would have given anything to see Peyton throw one pass like that. Oh, but uh, the Broncos, I was hoping he'd just retire right there. Just right there. From, I thought he would drop the mic. I'm done. I'm done. out. No. couple weeks. Yeah. So from halftime till about a couple minutes into the fourth quarter, I don't know if I watched the game. But what were you doing? My brother had a video game type thing out. We were playing with that. Oh, wow. Nothing happened. See, but this is there why— There was like a field goal, I think. This is why it'll goal. never be a national holiday. Why? Because you were bored. Yeah, I just got bored. Like, you can't okay. be bored in a national holiday. When have you ever gone to a parade and been bored? All the time. <laughs> when the first band showed up, I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh, boy. How many high school bands do we have to hear? Oh, and here's a float from that bank down the street. Oh, great. That was cool. I mean, it really is. A, it's a great night. I mean, it's really bad for church. Yeah. Because half the men were gone. I brought that up. You need to be faithful. Even on Super Bowl Sunday. I sent my brother a, a cartoon I found where it said, Welcome to church, or as many of you were seeing it, the pregame show. <laughs> so sad. So sad. Hey, it is, uh, it's the week before Valentine's Day, and every week before Valentine's Day, I catch a cold. Because I do a big event on Valentine's Day, which will be on this on Saturday. Or as close before. to it as possible. Yeah, I'm always, I, always, I always have a cold. Hmm. So here it is. In fact, I had somebody say, Hey, I'm getting ready to go to the date night. On Valentine's on the thirteenth, wondering if you have your cold yet. I do. Can't believe it. <laughs> I'm sick of being sick. I probably ought to start getting some exercise. So, do you have new content for this year's Valentine's yeah, Day? Yeah, I have to make it up. Okay, it's really hard. It's like every year you have to have mm. new content. <laughs> Don't you have people that show up yearly? Oh yeah. So they already know all yeah, your stuff. I know. I know. Got to have new stuff. I keep thinking maybe I have really, really old stuff they haven't heard. You know what you need? What? Bruno Mars. Oh, Just if I bring could call Bruno. Bruno and Beyonce, the bees. Yeah, you could do that. Like seriously, they had to just travel together. They were they brought the party. They did. That's it's good. like it's like Coldplay was writing the check, and those two brought the party. Even though they probably each could write the check. Right. But I wish I could have heard it. That would have been if fantastic. You, if you brought Bruno, yeah, the audio at halftime was horrible. If you brought Bruno to your Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. Oh, Bruno. be awesome. Dude, that guy can dance. Ah, Like I said, watch that Super Bowl halftime show with Bruno. Warren. And it's Beyonce's married to who? Jay-Z. Jay-Z. Yeah. Yeah. Sean Carter. Is that his real name? I think so. Yeah. So his real name is Sean Carter, and they call him Jay-Z. I need to. I need a. I need a name. A different name. They, my name is Matt Townsend. They call me the Doctor of Love. Doctor T. Doctor T. Yeah, I don't know. I need something. I need something. Hey, um, today in just a minute, we're going to be talking with Doctor Denise Cummins about this whole fairness versus equality idea. Like, do you think Bernie Sanders brings it up all the time? Income inequality. The top one percent. Owns 50% of the whatever. Yeah. So do we want everybody equal? Is everybody supposed to have the exact same amount of money? Or do we just want fairness? That's what we're going to be getting into. Dr. Denise Cummins has a wonderful article um, in Psychology Today called The Claim. People don't want economic equality. What they want is fairness. We get that. I mean, but they want equality. 
I've had the, I've just had not economic equality. I've had this discussion with people, and they always get kind of it gets kind of like just there's their their um, defenses get raised. They're like, no, no, no. Yeah, this yeah. one. Do you want equality or do you want equal access? Yeah, right. You know what I mean, right? So it's like, do you want the same? I mean, and then you start looking at people in different aspects of life. Do you want this? Do you want to be equal with this person, or do you just want the same opportunities as that person? Right. But see, so and you want when it comes down to it, you probably want equality, or do you want fairness when it comes to economics? But you want it equal. For example, I don't want my race to discourage me or discredit me or disallow me to make money. Right. I don't want my gender to disallow that. I want it to be fair and equal. It's interesting. It's a weird and then battle. How, how do you set up public policy to make that work? Right. And well, that's the hard part when you start looking at, especially a presidential year, everyone has these different ideas. Bernie Sanders has his ideas. And then on the other side, you have the Republicans are, uh, the, you know, the the idea that the people, if people who have money, they'll create jobs, right? But you, you should know, just they own work companies, harder, they'll create work or work harder and, and create your own. Where Bernie Sanders is trying to say we need to actually distribute this more. And you go to Flint, Michigan, where you live in an impoverished town and you're a minority, and your pipes pump out lead. <laughs> There's not equality and fairness there. No. Yet you're supposed to just go get the exact same grades as the other person wherever in Lansing and we're all supposed to go to Michigan together. Well, how is the guy from Flint going to get there when he's full of lead? Right. (sighs) Frustrating. We'll be talking with Dr. Denise Cummins about that in a few minutes. Um, But before we go there, let's get to the headlines. Terry, anything else going on around the world? Right. Senator Marco Rubio was widely mocked for repeating the same attack on President Obama verbatim four times during Saturday night's Republican debate, even after being called... A uh, speech memorizing lightweight by Governor Chris Christie. Here's the bottom line. This notion that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's doing is just not there true. There it is. He knows exactly what he's doing. There it is. The memorized 25-second speech. Well, that's the, that's the is, reason everybody. why this campaign is so important. That's what Washington, D.C. does. The drive-by shot at the beginning with incorrect and incomplete information, and then the memorized 25-second speech that is exactly what his advisors gave Wow. It gets very unruly <laughs> when he gets off his talk. Thank you, Governor. I, I will make... Just right in the kiss. He got manhandled there. That was horrible. The flub has taken a toll on his poll numbers, according to a survey Sunday by New Day for America Super PAC, a group supporting the campaign of Governor John Kasich. So that needs to be said there. In the group, the poll of 500 likely New Hampshire voters, Rubio notched a 10%, putting him fourth place behind Donald Trump, Kasich at 15%, and Jeb Bush at 13%. In most New Hampshire polls before the debate, Rubio was in second place. Christie still didn't move up, no. even with the beatdown. Yeah, but what they're saying is Rubio has dropped. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because he looked horrible. He did, <laughs> he and did. sweaty. Lots of sweaty. He always needs a drink. He he was my guy, and now, I don't know, that was We'll see scary. what happens, see if he can recover. The United States Olympic Committee is telling Team USA members concerned about the Zika epidemic that they should think about avoiding August's Olympic Games in Rio. In late January uh, conference call, U.S. sports federations were told no one should go to Brazil if they don't feel comfortable going. Bottom line uh, is saying that the president of the USA fencing, which is, you know, they're going, I guess. Yeah. But USA fencing said the call emphasized that that line of thinking for women who are pregnant or may become pregnant. He said he was told whether you were scheduled to go to Rio or not uh, that you shouldn't go. Really? But the Olympics, like... 
What do you mean? How do you not go? I, that's that, that that's a a big decision. We we our country placed what was it uh, second or I can't remember. We're always one of the one or two when it comes to the medals. It's, right, it's right. a big deal. And if we just decide not to go, that's wow, a huge decision. You but could just go and be careful and not get bit by a mosquito. Well, not not be sexually active for a year. Yeah. That would be a different type of uh, discussion there. <laughs> what uh, kind of Olympics would that be? A bit of Super Bowl trivia. North Korea's newest satellite passed almost right over the top of the stadium just hour after the Super Bowl ended. North Korea now has two satellites circling the Earth, according to NORAD. They monitor all satellites in orbit. Both of the Shining Star satellites complete their orbit in about 94 minutes. And based on data, it passed right over Levi's Stadium about an hour after the Super Bowl ended. Now they're, not saying, the now, they're not saying there's any uh, threat or any sort of uh, reason for it to be there, but they just find that kind of interesting that mm. about an hour after the Super Bowl, here comes a satellite. Weird. Yeah. And another Super Bowl-related nonsense, people at the home states of losing Super Bowl teams request smartphone repairs almost 200 times more the day after the big game than on the average day, according to smartphone repair and trading company iCracked. A perfect storm of impassioned football fandom coming this close to winning the championship and probably a higher-than-average blood alcohol level apparently leads to... Who would have guessed it? A lot of shattered smartphone screens. iCrack <laughs> noticed the spike last year, so then it looked two years back and the spike was even higher. When we discovered the pretty hilarious trend, we knew sports fans across the U.S. would relate to the frustration of such a crushing loss, says the CEO of iCrack. When the Seattle Seahawks lost last year, iCrack saw a 176% boom in repair requests in Washington. And when the Denver Broncos lost in 2014, Colorado saw a 184% increase to repairs to smartphones. The days following holidays always see an increase in business, too, they say. They have a running joke in the office that the Monday after the July 4th holiday is all hands on deck every year. iCrack sees a 51% increase in repair requests after Independence Day, 50% increase the day after Halloween, and 68% the day after Christmas. Wow. Could you get your new phone at Christmas? There's it a lot of people cracking. And you throw it. <laughs> yeah. Who throws their phone anymore? I don't. They're too I, expensive. It's I, like I, throwing I honestly your TV. treat it better than my child. Well, no. In fact, DCFS was wondering about that. My kid falls down. I'm like, you're right. My phone falls down. I'm like, oh, my gosh. What I've lost my baby. <laughs> oh, my heavens. Interesting, interesting stuff. Folks, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get right into it, talking with Dr. Denise Cummins about her article, Fairness Versus Equality. Does fairness matter more to us than equality? We hear from Bernie Sanders about income inequality. Uh, Black Lives Matter want equality as well. When you think about uh, just dealing with the police, what really is the difference between equality and fairness, and what are most people after? Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, with the political debates going on, you hear phrases all of the time about, uh, you know, income inequality, minimum wage disputes, living wage, uh, tuition costs, poverty levels. All of these seem to come up in these debates. And the question of economic equality is constantly raised. According to many researchers, many aren't necessarily looking for equality, but rather fairness. 
So what is the difference between equality and fairness, and how is it all achieved? Joining us today is Dr. Denise Cummins, whose article, The Claim, People Don't Want Economic Equality, calls into question the desires of fairness and equality. According to Dr. Cummins, the question we should be asking is, when are we willing to tolerate inequality and to what degree before our outrage over perceived unfairness reaches the boiling point? Dr. Denise Cummins, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. So good to have you here. And again, sorry, so many times we have, we've ended up having to call you to cancel because I've been sick or whatever. Yeah, I was sorry to hear that. But, oh, you know, you know what? Things happen. I'm a train wreck. I'm a train wreck, really Denise. It just uh, be flexible. <laughs> That's good. You're awesome. And we appreciate it. Well, let's mm-hmm. talk about this because we hear about it um, – we hear about it all the time, and your article in Psychology Today, I think, is something that everybody out there should read because it's not about – I mean, we always hear about equality. People want equality and people want fairness, and yet um, is it is it like – I mean, where do you begin with this? I guess, I guess we really probably need to determine what the terms mean. It, when we talk about equality uh, and we talk about fairness, how, how do you differentiate? Okay. Um, Well, let me just start by saying that uh, I wrote my piece in response to something written by uh, Yale psychologist Paul Bloom, in which uh, what he argued is that people don't want uh, economic equality; they they want fairness. And he says this is uh, this is true, uh, not just of us, but of every every other species. In fact, he says there's not a smidgen of evidence that humans or any other species naturally value equality for its own sake. And um, he. uh, the the reason why he uh he he he's talking about this is there's there's some work out there that there's an, uh, there's kind of a conundrum when it comes to economic equality in particular he cites some work done by Dan Arelli, um a duke university professor who uh, also wrote predictably irrational and he asked people to create um a perfect society so to to describe it and uh, to uh, to indicate what the income distribution should be like in that perfect society. And what he found was that um, people created a, uh, a society in which the top fifth have about three times more wealth than those in the bottom fifth. Hmm. Okay, so if you have each one, so the, the people on top are definitely making more. Um, <clears throat> so the interpretation is, is, uh, that was assigned to these results is that people are not just willing to tolerate uh, economic equality, but uh, to, but they prefer it that way. Okay, um, so let me just uh, in looking at this, I think what we need to do is is separate some things out. Um, do first off, do we want equality? Well, I think that in other arenas, we definitely want equality. Mm-hmm. We demand equality when it comes to, for example, rights protections and opportunities under the law, right? We want right. our laws to reflect the fact that murder is murder, regardless of who the victim is or who the perpetrator is. You're young, old, rich, poor, whatever, okay? <clears throat> there, in, when it comes to, to our rights and protections and opportunities, we demand fairness, we also demand, uh, and we, we demand equality. We also demand equality when it comes to be treating, being treated with dignity and respect. Um, <clears throat> this is just a, a <clears throat> excuse me, um, a fact of human nature that nothing elicits rage more than feeling like we're being treated as though we don't count or we don't matter mm. or <clears throat> we don't matter as much. And in fact, um, colleges and universities. Um, 
are uh, are undergoing uh, a, a strong degree of protest now uh, from college populations where people where the students feel that uh, that they're not being treated feel, uh, fairly. So that that would be like the that would be the push behind like the Black Lives Matter movement and Black Lives Matter other exactly or <clears throat> the pushback um, on college campuses. Uh, so college campuses, uh, college populations now are more diverse than they were in the past, and particularly at elite colleges like like Yale or, or Harvard, um, there's there are now <clears throat> a, a large proportion of students who have faced more injustice in their 18 years than most college professors have faced in their entire mm-hmm. lives, and um, they end up um, in <clears throat> surrounded by people who uh, come from uh, rather privileged uh, um, uh, uh, backgrounds. And they're made to feel that they don't deserve to be there. And, again, that elicits a good deal of rage. So when it comes to being treated with dignity and respect, when it comes to rights, protections, and opportunities under the law, we absolutely demand equality, and we'll we'll get very, very angry if we're not given it. But now the thing that uh, the conundrum, again, is economic inequality. Why are we willing to tolerate it? Now, um, uh, philosopher Harry Frankfurt recently wrote a book on inequality, and he talks about this particular issue, uh, and Bloom referred to it in, in his article. Um, <clears throat> what Frankfurt says is that economic equality has no intrinsic value, and he says, well, consider this thought experiment. Imagine a world where everyone is equally poor. Mm. There is equality, yeah. right? But four p- few people would prefer that to the one in which we live now. So he says, <clears throat> really what people are objecting to is not an uh, inequality, but unjust causes of economic equality. That is, how much money you have depends on factors that are outside your control and really shouldn't matter, like your social class, your skin color, your sex. So he says when you you talk about uh, um, people's tolerance or intolerance for economic inequality, what they're really saying is we want fairness. It's not fair that income is distributed um, uh, uh, in, unequal me- in unequal measures yeah. based on things that are outside of your control. And they also concern themselves with the consequences of economic inequality, that it erodes democracy, that it increases crime. Okay, so he says... Um, Basically, when people get really concerned about economic equality, when does that happen? It's not because some people have more and other people have less, but because those who have less have too little. They're impoverished. They're suffering. So it's more, it's more like the disparity. It's the, it's, the, it's the chasm. It's the spread that matters more there than the equality. Um, it, it's not even so much the the. It, it's not even that that concerns people. It's that the people on the bottom rung are suffering. Mm. Uh, so this is uh, the, the the debates and the and the movements across the states now to raise the minimum wage. Um, Americans generally tend to believe that if you work an honest forty hour week, you should have an income that keeps mm-hmm. you above the poverty line, rather than one that still requires you to go to the government for assistance. Right? If you right. work an honest. Uh, 40 hours, you should be able to support yourself and your family. So when the bottom rung of the ladder uh, of economic inequality, when those people are suffering, when they are impoverished, when they're desperate, then that concerns people as well. So, so really, if, if you could get the bottom, uh, you know, kind of rung of the ladder economically to a, a higher level, would everybody be more okay with the disparity? 
Uh, I think that I think human history sort of shows that. Okay, we, uh, I think people sort of inure themselves the idea that mm, some people have more, some people have less. Hmm. When it's when things get too excessive, and in particular when those on the bottom are are struggling just mm-hmm. to survive. There's it, it, it's simply then you really have a violation of fairness. But <clears throat> I think um, and, and, and to, to take this issue of fairness a little further. Bloom takes it one, one, uh, one step further, which is that what people consider fair often isn't. Uh, that is, um, they, when, they say, when people say, oh, what's fair, what's unfair, they have a very strong motivation not to get less than anyone else. So if two for you and one for me is not fair, okay, mm-hmm. but two for me and one for you, well, that's okay. <laughs> right? right. So <clears throat> this is something that comes out in, in research. But it gets more complex than that, okay? Um, fairness, when we say people don't want, you know, are concerned about economic equality, they, they are concerned about fairness. Well, fairness depends on a lot of social factors. It's very complex. So for, if we say, how should we distrib- distribute these resources? We've got a big pile of money or whatever. What should we do with them? Well, this is true of most species and most cultures, uh, most human human beings. We tend to be more generous towards our kin, okay, family, yeah. friends, people we consider members of our own group, and in large part because we know that we'll be engaging in future t- transactions with these folks. We have some kind of personal or social ties to these people, and so we tend to be more generous towards them. So our yeah. fairness is altered by our relationship, our network, yeah. our yeah, hierarchy. It's a social relationship, yeah. exactly. Right. It's, so, it's socially defined. What, what, what we claim counts as fairness depends on who the other person in the transaction is. interesting, yeah. So if you, okay. It's interesting. So if you don't have a broad network of friends, of diverse friends, of all strata and segments of the population, then, yeah, you will become – your fairness would be more cliquish. That's right. You become more narrow-minded hmm. uh, and narrow-focused. That's one of the pushes for increasing diversity on college campuses because this is usually the biggest opportunity that we have to expose people to other cultures, sure. to other people who don't look like them or um, uh, you know, uh, have come from the same socioeconomic class so that you, you do become more inclusive because the extent that you think other people are different than you you're not going to be as generous towards them. There's mm. enough, you know, psychological research showing this. Oh yeah. So we have to improve our empathy. We have to improve our our, our seeing of the of those other people as 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 belonging to um, to our group simply because they're human. Yeah. Oh, I love that, um, yeah. Denise. Let's take a break. Let's come back, and when we come back, let's talk too about you know, I guess position hierarchy. Bosses, how how we might think of fairness in relation to our boss or somebody in a position of authority. Um, Interesting, interesting uh, subject. Again, the article comes uh, from an article written in Psychology Today. It's called The Claim, People Don't Want Economic Equality. And the author, Dr. Denise Cummins, is joining us. We'll be right back. Continue this discussion about fairness and equality. Stick with us, folks. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. Well, 
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Okay, so what's the difference between uh, equality and fairness, and what really matters most to you? Do you want to have equality economically? Do you just want fairness? Do you just want to have a fair shot at being able to make it? Well, joining us on the phone is Denise Cummins, Ph.D. She is uh, the author of a recent book, Good Thinking, Seven Powerful Ideas That Influence the Way We Think, and also the author of the article we're discussing, The Claim, People Don't Want Economic Equality, uh, which was a response that she wrote to Yale psychologist Paul Bloom's article. Um, We welcome you back, Denise. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. You bet. And again, everybody, if you go to just look up Psychology Today and Denise Cummins, you'll find her and all of her great work. Um, Denise, when we when we think about this, there's a really interesting um, article or in, in your article, you cite a, a, a study done with dogs and altruism. Yeah. And you would mm-hmm. think that just just maybe discuss that study. And, and then because it's not like we're all kind of good hearted people. But we may be good-hearted for socially advantageous reasons. Uh, yeah. So something to notice, is, it's something to keep in mind is when people think about um, nature, okay, they, they think of it as being highly competitive, survival of the fittest, uh, everybody out for themselves. But in fact, uh, as, as noted by evolutionary biologists and ecologists, there's an enormous amount of cooperation out there in nature. Right. Uh, it, it, a cooperation between individuals and also uh, between species. Uh, it's called mutualism. So in this particular study that you're referring to, uh, what they did was they, uh, they had dogs, and there's, there's two dogs uh, in two separate enclosures. And one of the dogs, and there's a, a tray that can be pulled towards one of the dogs and they put a treat on there. Now, the, the dog, say, in the right enclosure can pull the tray so that the dog in the left enclosure can get that treat. Hmm. Okay, now, should the dog do that? Now, if the dog behaved purely selfishly, why should it do that? I mean, why should I help right. you? Okay, if it was purely altruistic, it would pull that tray to the other dog regardless of who that other dog is. But if there's, uh, if there's something more like uh, reciprocal altruism, I'll help you if you help me later, then the dogs would be more likely to pull the, the tray towards another dog that was familiar to them. Okay, I know you, we're friends, I'm likely to see you again. And in fact, that's what they found. The dogs were far more likely to pull the, the, the tray towards a dog that was familiar to them, that was their friend, than to a, a dog that was a stranger. So even when it comes to, um, it, there certainly is altruism, out, uh, you know, out there uh, in nature. Uh, it's something that evolutionary biologists have struggled to explain. Um, and, but reciprocal altruism is pretty easy to explain. Um, Robert Trivers actually wrote a classic paper on this in 1972, uh, in which he he explained that uh, in terms of overall survival, if my if you're if I help you and there's a chance that you're going to help me in the future, then we both increase our chances of survival right. in the long run. And so, and that can be a target of selection. So is that what happens where, uh, well, I mean, this is extreme, but I guess a politician has a, con- have a, has a constituency and as they start making or trying to pass laws and it's really, it's really altruistic, reciprocal altruism. I take care of you. You take care of me. Yes. We grow a, a strong party. That's right. 
Hmm. Yeah, exactly. And now the thing is that you had better reciprocate, right? Because uh, there are many, many studies in in uh, in economics, experimental economics, showing this that if you fail to reciprocate, uh, people will punish you. You will get severely punished. People become very (laughs) angry, and they are far more punitive towards uh, towards people who don't reciprocate in the future. In fact, they will pay a premium to punish you. Wow. Uh, For an opportunity to punish you. Reciprocal, yeah. What what would we call that? That's not altruistic, is it? Reciprocal Uh, demolition. It's called altruistic punishment, believe it or not. No, is it really? Is it? Yeah. Yes. You actually have to, you know, you you impose in in biology, altruism is imposing a cost on yourself to Uh benefit someone else. Okay. And so... Uh, in in altruistic punishment, you're imposing a cost on yourself in order to to punish another individual. Well, then then uh, it, then it, behoo- it behooves those that are in authority. Um, it seems like it would it would be beneficial to be thinking uh, equality and fairness to their people that they're yeah. that they're leading, they're managing. Keep your promises. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. If you don't keep your promises, um, you you do a lot of damage. People are very slow to to uh, forgive that. Huh. And yet, um, there's right now there's so much tension because if and maybe this is some of the backlash that we're seeing politically. So many people that are, are kind of anti-establishment today throw the bums out. They're not keeping their promises. Yeah, it depends on what you think the promises are. Right. But yeah, uh, the, those who are angry feel that they're that they're being betrayed in some way. That the government no longer represents them hmm. and their and their interest. And so, you know, I elected. You know, if you're in office, what you're supposed to do is represent my interests, and you're not. And so, I throw you out. Does does the mere fact that I'm you know elected or I'm given a, a role to lead other people does that does that enhance my desire, my ability to create fairness? Uh, I, I don't know whether it's, it, it enhances. I guess the question is why people go into politics. And there are some who, who pursue politics because they think they want to take, they're interested in the public good. That is, they want to go, they want to have power because they want to make changes that they think will benefit, um, you know, society as a whole or the other country um, or, or whatever. And then there are those who are just after power, <laughs> right? Because uh, you know it's it's a good thing to have power. You can make your life and life of your friends, um, you know, pretty good. So it's it's more a question of one's motivations for for seeking public office. Hmm. So what do we do as just average Joes? I mean, what what can I do to make sure fairness and equality is is the, the the philosophies being furthered and the realities being achieved. Well, I, I think the simple answer with respect to the things that we were just talking about is, uh, you know, you trust at first, and if somebody violates that trust, uh, you simply do not engage in future transactions with them. Uh, the, you know, it's a very powerful thing to exclude cheaters on these transactions, to you know, to throw the bums out if they don't keep their promises. Uh, you can't tolerate people. We have a very, there's a very, we have a very long evolutionary history of this. Um, with you know, we lived in small bands when we were, um, uh, you know, early on in caveman days. Okay, we knew everybody and we knew what kind of uh, individuals they were, and so you couldn't tolerate having people who, um, who cheated. Right, you have right. to exclude cheaters from from future transactions. If you traded with somebody, if you shared food with them, and and then when you were hungry, they didn't share food back. Okay, that person has to be excluded. 
uh, from future transactions, you never trust them again. That is a very powerful way, uh, and modeling uh, experiments have shown this, uh, mathematical modeling. That, that is an evolutionarily stable strategy for the, uh, for the evolution of cooperation. We're a very cooperative species, hmm. and the way that we became that way, in part, okay, was by uh, identifying who the cheaters are, who the defectors are, and excluding them from future transactions. Wow. So if somebody stiffs you, that's it. I'm sorry, you're out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and it's, I mean, that where this gets even more complicated is when that was your child or uh, your, yeah. you know. Children, that's a, that's a whole different matter. Well, your adult <laughs> child, I guess I'm thinking, yeah. yeah. You just forget about fairness. <laughs> right. When it comes to, you, 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 when you have a child, you're, it's your job to invest in them. And, yeah. uh, you know, as they get older, you, you start to ex- accept for something back. But, but you know, uh, parenting is, is, is all about investing in the child. Hmm. And uh, and for good reason, right? I mean, you're you're passing on your genes, and you want you want these uh, you want these individuals to survive because they're you know they're your kin. Uh, so you sacrifice a lot. That's that's what we do in order to help our children survive. So so true. Is there um, are there other things that that you know we need to maybe watch out for societally and i mean we hear about like a, like with ferguson the shootings in ferguson and baltimore and and all of these um the shootings and then the flint michigan um you know uh lead in the water it, there's just a lot of unfair s- cultural social issues that are going on that are disproportionately being paid by minority groups how, what yeah. what do we do there what do how do we change those well, I think what, again, this what it comes down to is, uh, you know, if you look at a lot of these videotapes, um, you know, that have been taken of these these very, you know, these terrible situations where police are are gunning down, uh, you know, people are simply running away. Um, it's it's hard to avoid the noticing that these are different social groups, or these are different races, or these are d- different people who come from different socioeconomic classes. And to the extent that the uh, the people that the, the targets, right, the miscreants are are members um, uh, are not like me. Okay, mm-hmm. we're harsher, right? We're less likely to empathize. We're less likely to identify. We're more likely to be punitive towards them. That's that in-group, out-group distinction. So we have to again. What we have to do is uh, is emphasize our the humanity that we have in common. Right. That what matters is that we're all human beings. Right. We're all feeling, you know, intentional creatures. We all have uh, we're all capable of suffering. Right. And to the extent that we push that that message across to look past the individual differences, the superficial differences to our shared humanity. Right. That that should help us to you know, think twice before doing these kinds of things. But it's it's a long haul because what we, you know, we look at somebody, these things happen very early on. Um, I have a, a colleague, uh, Mazram Banaji at Harvard, who's, who has studied this for many, many decades now, that uh, we make uh, these these decisions uh, about in-group, out-group, uh, and, and notice differences and, and elicit uh, uh, sort of attitudes very quickly within the first few um, milliseconds of seeing somebody. We we have a stereotype threat, it's called. So if I see somebody who isn't the same race as I am, okay, I'm already defending myself a little bit mm. within the very, you know, the, the, within a, a split second of, of seeing the other person. 
<clears throat> and uh, so we we need that's the thing that we need to be to to target uh hopefully through education and and uh uh social attitudes yeah when it's that immediate mm-hmm. you, and you're probably you know already down the street in you know with your interpretation bef- before you even recognize you're down the street you, i guess you need to just right. slow it down and maybe f- be willing to go back Take up a deep and breath and tell yourself there's nothing to be afraid of here right that's so true <laughs> that's what though it comes down to it the really is are different are not necessarily threatening is and i guess this is human nature i mean it, it's kind of nice to think that you know the money what we need to make sure is that the rights that the that the Everybody has the same access, the same opportunities, um, or you know, or the same rights, privileges, respect. Uh, even if you know, we may not be able to create equality in the outcome. Yes, those things are. You know, yes, of course we we're very concerned now because uh, economic equality has has uh, it's 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 strained to the breaking point. Yeah. Uh, those on top have uh, many, many, many times more than those on the bottom, and the middle class is being shrunk <clears throat> out of existence. And the middle class is the backbone of the country. It's it's really what keeps things going. Um, so there's a lot of concern about that, but uh, particularly for you know those on 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 the bottom rung that are getting uh, so squeezed out that they're they're fighting just for survival. Mm. And uh, you know that uh, that is something that concerns people. That's when we start to the outrage starts to get triggered. It's not so much that, <clears throat> excuse me, somebody owns five Lear jets, but somebody owns five Lear jets where somebody else doesn't have enough mu- uh, food, uh, you know, to survive. Right, right. Then all of a sudden, it, it doesn't seem to matter. I mean, and what's going to happen? It seems like is no matter what, there will be, there's going to be an upheaval. People are going uh, yeah. to be done. Yeah, they're going to take. They're not going to take it. That already. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- yeah, I think, uh, and particularly the popularity of uh, of Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Uh, I think is 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 showing that that message is coming through. It really um, is. It's, there's kind of a there's there's a backlash, I guess, on both sides about um, about the government has kind of is not working. It's not strong enough. It's not doing what it needs to be doing. I mean, not strong. Well, some would differ with that, but the Bernie backlash is definitely kind of pushing against the. This is this disparity can't continue, and it's yeah. it's taking yeah, off yeah, on both sides. We're seeing that from a lot of candidates. I mean, you're hearing this the same thing from uh, from Clinton. Yeah. Um, I think this is something that uh, President Obama has been talking about as well. Uh, some of the pushback is coming from people who have had a very privileged existence, and what they what they fear is that that pri- those privileges are getting eroded. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they don't want that to change. That's uh, true. Huh? So yeah, I mean, we're it, it, so there's self-interest and then there's fairness. Right. And these are two huge concepts. Interesting. Uh, particularly in economics. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Well, Denise, we appreciate you and the great work you've done. Um, again, everybody, go check out her book, Good Thinking: Seven Powerful Ideas That Influence the Way We Think, and also look her up on Psychology Today, and you can get more of her articles there. Denise Cummings, PhD. Interesting insight into uh, you know equality and fairness. Man, it's a it's a complicated world we're living in, folks. And think about it what what are your views on the issue? Do you, do you ever even think about what's fair? And you know, are people getting equal opportunity, equal access? Interesting stuff. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Keep listening. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, when you think about fairness and equality, it's really easy to do that from a position where you're, you know, you're in the upside, where you've got everything you want. Where it gets a little harder when you think about it is when you're upside down, when you're the one that can't make ends meet. And we've had on the show many times we've talked about um, the the you know the the concept of needing a living wage or the minimum wage and how the majority of people that are looking and working for minimum wage tend to be single moms so if a single mom is working you know for minimum wage it's not that they're they're living below the poverty line so the working poor is what they're called and they're they tend to be single moms trying to raise a family so it, it's one thing to be working at minimum wage to take care of your own needs. But when you're a mom of two or three kids and you're living below the poverty line and you're working, but it actually makes more sense to just not work but work a little bit and then you know get on government subsidies, it's a complicated, complicated thing. So when you're out there thinking – about what's fair, maybe one of the rules we should all be living uh, a little bit more is the idea of showing the spirit of caring, um, not just correcting. If you really want to help somebody, you got to care. And if we're going to try to solve problems on a national level, we've got to understand what what the real problems are. And we got to care. Do you really care about what's going on in the water, you know, in the in the minority communities in Flint, Michigan? Do you care? And if you do, that's part of the problem. That's part of this idea of equality and fairness. Um, you know, people need a meal. They need a leg up every once in a while. And we got to make sure that uh, everybody has a shot at the American dream. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you live longer and love stronger. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the tools, the information you need to live longer, love stronger, lead a healthier, happier life. Today will be no different. We are going to teach you that your brain needs to take a break. And sometimes that break needs to be time in nature. Your brain needs to get out and back into nature. Are you a big nature guy? Absolutely not. Used to camp when I was a kid. Not anymore. I'm like, there's this wonderful invention called a mattress. Yeah, feels great. Would this you? Are you? Sleep- the, are you a motorhome kind of guy? Would you get a motorhome and go camping? No, not even that. No, I, I used to work at a hardware store. 
and had all these people that would walk in trying to fix their RV at the hardware store. And that's not where you go to fix your RV, but they were trying. <laughs> They're back in plumbing like, these these pieces don't fit. And I go, where is this from? And I go, well, it's from my RV. And I go, go to an RV supply shop. Yeah. And they're like, oh, okay. That'll do it. Just because it's a sink doesn't mean you get the parts at the same place you can fix your house. <sighs> Come on. So they, they seem to be a hassle, so I'm not going to go down so, road. And you're not going to get a tent and do that? Well, I have a tent because, you know, occasionally you have to camp. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't do it on purpose. Your poor boy. Like I said, there would be a point where I have to camp. We went camping last year. It rained the entire time. Yeah. He sat in the truck. <laughs> I go, do you want to come out? No. I'm All right. good. Just didn't hear warm. He's like, could you get me breakfast? I'm like, what? <laughs> so he had breakfast in the truck. Well, that's nice of yeah. you. No, the out of doors is great. I just don't have this great desire to go out there. I found uh, this article that we're going to talk to the guest coming up about in, uh, I believe it was National Geographic. Oh, did you? Yeah. And just his idea of how that'll help you, like mentally. I, I can be outside. I, I'm fine with it as long as I have cell phone coverage. Just so you don't feel like you're completely yeah. away from society. Com- right. From- I mean, God invented nature and cell phones. When I was a kid, we spent a week backpacking, me and my friends backpacking, in the uh, the Uinta Mountains, which is out here in the yeah. area yeah. of Utah, just out in the middle of nowhere. All, there's just a bunch of lakes to go fish in. Beautiful. We went like seven, eight miles off the road. No just, one around. It was great. All Just us and the moose. The moosin'. And uh, it was a great week. Huh. Just very relaxing. See? Did, did your brain feel bigger? It felt better. I mean, you wake up and the whole thing was go fishing. So we just go sit next to random lakes and just fish and shoot the breeze. And it was great. It's cool. And then I had to come back home and go to high school football. And then you're back at it. Yeah. Nature. Folks, we're going to get into it. Your brain, apparently, according to our researcher that we'll be talking about, Dr. David Strayer, will be joining us. He's going to give us uh, the impact. Um, that nature plays on your brain. It, it's healthy. By the way, did you last night see the um, singing sheep commercial? It was in the background. I was, oh. I was playing games. So they always make a big deal about the commercials, but there's only two that stood out for me. Okay. Wiener dogs. Those were funny. And the singing sheep from the Honda commercial. Back to nature, by the way. Yeah. That's it. The rest, mm, okay. I didn't, maybe I didn't see them all. I don't know. I, the ones I, I saw, probably a majority of them, and it's, I don't know. It used to be, I, I think part of the problem is they release most of them early. Yeah. So you see snippets like the, the dogs that were running towards uh-huh. the ketchup bottles. Right. I saw that a week ago. Oh, you did? Yeah. Well, so when I saw that. it again, I was like, eh. Yeah, I've seen that. There it is. And mm-hmm. it, it, you kind of ruin the the anticipation for that feature of the, the program by releasing them all early. What do you do? You just can't. You just it's can't so let sad. people have that experience of of seeing it for the first time. No, yeah. There's that anticipation, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of it all, you know, you're already wondering, man, are the Broncos going to be able to hold them off? Come on, are they going to hold them off? And then you get to go see a really great commercial. Normally, you wouldn't want to go to commercial, but during the Super Bowl, I love a good commercial. But when they started repeating commercials, yeah, then I was mad. There should be a rule. You this, can't th- this should be a showcase. You shouldn't start repeating. Unless it's a hilarious, like, singing sheep commercial. You thought that one was? Yeah, I don't know how they got sheep to sing. That is amazing to me. Huh. That's some pretty special I, I guess you sheep. can train animals to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently. 
But that's just I think it was special. And they were they were in harmony. It was beautiful. Mm. Beautiful. Hey, did you hear about the groundhog that was arrested for predicting early spring? Where? In Connecticut. Oh. But it was like Pennsylvania, like the groundhog. The Suffield Police Department made a high-profile arrest early Saturday morning when the locally known Chuckles the Groundhog. Chuckles. The department posted on their Facebook page that a woodland critter was taken into custody on a warrant and is facing charges of making a false statement. Hmm. That's sad. Yeah. He's just doing his job, man. When groundhogs go bad. Get off my furry back. Only to have the uh, – listen to this. Uh, t- on Tuesday, February 2nd, Chuckles stated that on Tuesday, February 2nd, that spring would be coming early. And then right after he said that, the state got anywhere from six inches to a foot of snow. There you go. Friday. So he lied. <sighs> the groundhog is being held at Suffield Animal Control Lockup while he awaits trial. Now, did he say something or was something he did interpreted by somebody else? Apparently it was a statement. An urban legend. He must have sent out a statement. Huh. So it's, so if, if it's – It's a it's, sophisticated right. groundhog. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The groundhog's in Connecticut. A press release? Wow. Yeah. Okay. He, had his, he had his people send out a press release. Better schools. That's mm-hmm. what it is. That's exactly right. Uh, the Suffield police have posted this message on their Facebook page about a bond set for Chuckles. Anyone who donates money towards Chuckles Bond goes directly to the Lutz Children Museum. There you go. So it's a fundraiser, I guess. Looks like it. Don't know why. So that's sad. They arrest a poor, uh, just a poor critter. Do you think it had little cuffs? Uh huh. Little cuffs for him to yeah. put him on his little oh, tiny wrist. Yeah, can't you see him just walking, <laughs> little waddling, perp, little perp waddle? Yeah. <laughs> it's so sad. Is that so, called a frog walk when they do that is with that, a is groundhog? That the, I don't know what they call that. Well, the frog walks when your ankles are also bound and you're just sort yeah. of – But, I mean, is it a frog walk when it's I, a groundhog? No, I think that's actually how they would walk if you forced them to walk on their hind legs. Okay. You know what I mean? This is new territory for me. So yeah, well, it's the first – yeah, me too. I think it's the first for most. Um, but I guess that beats what de Blasio did to the groundhog. He dropped him and he died a week later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure if I got that story right, and I looked it up, and I nailed that story. Did you really? I, I don't know why I knew that. I don't know why a mayor would do that to a poor little groundhog. Well, he bit him, I think. Uh, I think the groundhog bit the mayor of New York, and the mayor of New York dropped the groundhog. How come nobody thought about that? I mean, that's in front of everybody. He took well, down a I mean, de Blasio groundhog. was like seven feet tall. Yeah, at least. So you think maybe he could handle a groundhog. <laughs> maybe that's their thought. Groundhogs are hard, though. They're really hard. Didn't didn't uh, didn't Mitt Romney call him vermin or something? Probably, or he maybe put him in a kennel on top of his car. I don't know. I'm not sure how that works. That's a great ride, though. Yeah, great ride, <laughs> great view. If you're a dog, hey. Um, now the the big debate was on over the weekend, Saturday, and it seemed like you know Marco Rubio had a little beat down. Yeah. Everybody kind of ganged up. The governors against it was the govs against the senators. Yeah, sounds like a really great hockey, you know, game. Govs and senators. Governors against the senators. Yeah, could be. Senators lost. Governors, I hear they did really well. And last week, by the way, Jeb Bush had mom out for him. Mom was out. Yeah, they showed my people mocking him because he had to get his mommy, as they keep saying. 
But mm-hmm. being that it's a former first lady, that it, oh, you know, no, she's there's, and there's people more people love her. But the 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 thing I saw was when they were in a New Hampshire restaurant, and she has her walker out, yeah, and she's sort of making her way through the restaurant. And you're like, oh man, that's it. And everyone's like, why <laughs> do you, why did you wait till now to bring her out? Yeah, and they're like, well, she's ninety. You don't want to bring her out early, right? She's 90. And he wasn't polling well in Iowa, so it would be kind of a waste. Yeah. And now he's more desperate, so maybe <laughs> you bring her out now. But Well. It is a tough decision, but I mean, she, she's very recognizable to mm-hmm. the Republican base, but at the same time, it's your mom. That's right. And, 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 to, and tomorrow is the big, uh, the big election, the big primary. Big primary in New Hampshire. And then Wednesday morning, we'll have uh, our good friend Joe Cannon on to talk about what we learned he'll look at it and go why why what is going on but Kasich, he seems to be uh picking up his pace he's rubio moved. slid a bit yeah i don't hmm. know we'll have to see rubio rubio says everything's positive except for the poll numbers and except for the fact that uh he repeated the same comment like four times and people are like yo all right dude did, yeah, that, did you practice any other lines before that tonight? was a bad that was a bad, and it wasn't even a great line if no. it had been a great line what do you do? Anyway, let's get to the headline story. Anything else going on around the rest of the country? I don't know if you saw this, Matt, but he visibly upset Cam Newton abruptly, left a press conference following the Carolina Panthers' 24-10 loss to the Denver Broncos in Super Bowl 50 on Sunday, telling reporters, I'm done, man. Newton didn't elaborate a bit. He did elaborate afterwards, saying the Broncos just played better than us. It wasn't nothing special that they did. We dropped balls. We turned the ball over. Gave up sacks. Errant passes. That's it. They my points After that, he got up and said, I'm done, and walked away. So wow. the, whole, the whole press conference, they're asking him questions. He goes, they played better than us. We lost. No, that they just say no. Just one-word answers, <laughs> yeah, really he short. he wasn't happy He had either. his hoodie on, so you couldn't really get a good shot of him if he had a camera. And it just looked like he wasn't really there to just own up to a loss. And so now he's getting a lot of critique because he's oh, kind of man. sulking and depressed but at the same time you just lost the biggest game of your right. life that's right next so, year next be year back. a Monmouth university poll released sunday donald trump leads the republican field with 30 percent of the of support from likely new hampshire primary voters marco rubio and jeb bush tied at 13 percent ted cruz notching 12 percent on the democratic side bernie sanders 52 to 42 over hillary clinton the polls margin of error is 4.4 points on tuesday the new hampshire new hampshire will be the second state to vote in its primaries so Yay. Bill Clinton broke several months of seeming restraint on his wife's campaign trail Sunday by going after the, quote, sexist attacks waged against her by Democratic primary rival Bernie Sanders and his supporters. When you're making a revolution, you can't be too careful with the facts, the former president said in a rally in New Hampshire referencing the Democratic Socialist Senator's penchant for revolutionary talk. Mm. Clinton also dismissed Sanders as hermetically sealed and repeatedly mocked his critique of the Clintons as being a tool of the establishment. Wow. So we'll see if that works. That's getting ugly. Hillary's razor, Hillary Clinton's razor-thin margin of victory in Iowa just shrank even more. The Iowa Democratic Party says that after reviewing the counts from 14 of the 1,681 Democratic precincts, errors were found in five precincts that cut her lead over Bernie Sanders from 0.27% 
to 0.25%. Ooh, wow. The party, which reports results in state delegates' equivalents instead of headcounts, said that the precinct review resulted in smaller increases for Sanders in three counties, for Clinton in one, and for Martin O'Malley in one county. The party has declined to release the raw vote count, so it isn't clear which candidate won the popular vote. The Des Moines Register reports uh, the lack of clarity has caused some to label the result a fiasco. Mm. Fiasco, that's a good word. That's a great word. British entrepreneur Leo DeWatts, he's 27, he has made thousands of dollars selling bottles of British county or British country air to Chinese buyers. Wow. He sells them for $115 a bottle. Uh, DeWatt says the 20-ounce glass jars have been flying out the door. Many headed for pollution-plagued Chinese cities such as Beijing and Shanghai. Once open, a jar of pure British air might last just a few seconds, and it's understood many customers are purchasing the product more as a novelty gift, though it'll sit in homes unopened. So let me get this straight. Yes. He buys a 20-ounce jar. Gets a jar. He then just puts the lid on it. Yeah. Labels it. British Air. Sends it to China. China makes a hundred and something dollars. Fifteen bucks. Man. It's called a business. There's a YouTube video. He's he's out there and he shows the process. They're in a field, it's windy, he opens the jar, holds it up, closes the jar. <laughs> British Air. <laughs> you know it's really being done in a factory with some guy named Chewy. Oh yeah. Who's just sitting in a dark room Probably putting in ta- lids on. in Taiwan, and then they ship it over to China. Unbelievable what people will pay for. I guess. There was the guy in Boston that was shipping snow. Yeah, yeah. Then later, the next year, he was, he was shipping leaves. We'll see. Yeah. Our next guest, we're talking nature. Nature. And how it helps your brain. Maybe that's what we ought to do is go get some Rocky High, Rocky Mountain High. Which probably means something different in Colorado than could it does be. on this side of the Rockies. Absolutely. In Utah, just get some really great air that we could send so that people don't have to get out to nature. Or, or you could get some of our tap water. Exactly. I call it mountain bubble. Mountain, mountain dew. Brook water, mountain <laughs> river water, whatever. It's like clear mountain water and it just comes out of the tap here. But yeah. Whatever. People will buy anything, Terry. What is the deal? I've got, I'm in the wrong business. I should be bottling air. Ben tries to bottle ice cream. I'm going to bottle air and water. Hmm. That way you don't need to get back to nature. You, just, you know, open a jar of it. And the profit margins are huge. Huge. All you need is a is just a jar, really. Uh, we're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, Dr. David Strayer will be joining us. He's a professor of cognition and neuroscience at the University of Utah. He's going to be talking to us about how our brain needs nature in order to kind of uh, reboot. Interesting, interesting research coming up, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. everybody to the Matt Townsend show. You know, maybe it's the fairy tales we've grown up with, the stories of trolls, fairies and grand adventures, but nature has always had a magical and sometimes foreboding pull to it. Intuitive wisdom says that mankind needs time in nature to reset, to heal or contemplate 
And these days, the science is now backing up our intuition. Our guest today is Dr. David Strayer, Professor of Cognition and Neural Science at uh, the University of Utah. He joins us now live from Salt Lake City to talk about how taking time out in nature actually helps our brains. Dr. Strayer, welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to have you. This is, um, to me, this it almost seems like a no-brainer, right? No pun intended. But the getting back to nature and getting out into nature, it's good for our brain. It's good for our head. It's good for your body. It's good for your brain. It's good for your kind of your soul or your spirit. It really, honestly, uh, is rejuvenating in a lot of ways. Uh, our modern multitasking world with cell phones and digital screens all over the place places demands on uh, how our brain works. It tends to overtax the, the decision centers, the prefrontal cortex in our brain. And when you uh, uh, put that aside, set that digital technology aside, go out, take a walk, especially if you can go down to southern Utah with uh, the uh, spectacular scenery down there, and go on a hike for a day or two. It's amazing. All of a sudden we see bursts of creativity, and we're seeing changes in EEG when people are uh, have been out in the wilderness for a while. The are you accident. serious? So it's really the EEG, oh, and why, why is that? Is it just because we're not doing the same taxing activities, or is it because the, that nature does rejuvenate? Um, it's a little bit of rest, uh, rest and restoration, just in terms of kind of not constantly multitasking, but there seems to be something special about uh, being in natural environments. Uh, there's all kinds of research that shows that uh, being in natural environments uh, uh, improves healing, improves physical health, physical health improves mental well-being. Um, so nature does have a special role in uh, what's kind of referred to kind of as attention restoration, restoring the parts of the brain that are responsible for, uh, uh, you know, attending to the modern world. Well, and we've it almost seems like we've done it completely wrong, right? We we import everybody from the suburbs into a big city where they then work and they get no, you know, they get no kind of nature uh or natural, you know, relaxation and then we stress them out for so long until they finally get a break once a month. Yeah, I mean our our modern world, a lot of people uh don't take time out in the day uh to go on a walk, uh to be out in and in Nature. It doesn't have to be some kind of exotic uh, place in southern Utah where there's nothing. You get benefits, and we've shown benefits, as have others, uh, just walking in a park or an arboretum. So there are clear benefits of just being outdoors and getting physical exercise, which we know changes how the brain works, and also being in a natural setting. That works better than, say, just uh, exercising in the gym. Uh, you get the double benefits of being in nature and exercise. But our modern world, and people are driving for up to an hour uh, uh, each way um, on their commutes. They're on the phone constantly. They're on email regularly. Um, uh, and so our world, our, the modern world, is nothing but uh, just a series of interruptions. Um, and as a consequence, it wears us down. It mentally just uh, drags us down. You talk about what the phone does do to us. I know in your article you get into that. It seems like... Um, like having your phone, if I go on that walk in nature and my phone's with me, I'll still get a different result than if my phone's not with me. You know, we had intuited that. Uh, to be honest, I'd seen uh, uh, on my hikes down in the desert occasionally see people who were plugged into their phone uh, actually honestly selling uh, their stock or rebalancing their stock portfolio when they're walking through arches. 
And my thinking at the time was they aren't in this physical environment I'm at. They're walking around in the same space, but they could be any place else because uh, they just aren't paying attention to being in nature. So we've tested that out uh, where we had actually people walking through uh, Red Butte Arboretum uh, up near the university campus. Either uh, they're walking and they had a cell phone uh, in their hand and were talking, or we took their cell phone away from them. And we saw a two-to-one difference in terms of the things that, they, that their brain registered and that they were aware of uh, when they weren't talking in a cell phone. So you get that kind of phone zone, uh, um, you know, inattentional blindness, and it happens when you're walking in a park. So um, you can completely uh, undermine the benefits of going on a hike if you're t- constantly plugged in. Hmm. Is it, would it, does it matter if it's music um, versus just work? Like music in nature, what does that, it seems it might, like it might be additive. Um, so what we know is that uh, um, in terms of the things that you have to do if you're talking on a cell phone or texting or you know, looking at your social media, uh, that is much more of an active process, and that just really takes you away from being in the moment. Uh, music, if it's not uh, a heavy beat, uh, uh-huh. could actually uh, complement uh, your time in nature. But, uh, uh, and we haven't specifically tested uh, if you know, some kinds of music might actually be, uh, be you know, um, positive in that environment. But there's nothing really quite like just unplugging. A lot of people are amazed at the sound of silence. If you yeah. go into the, uh, especially if you go down into the uh, uh, Red Rock country uh, and get a little bit away from the highways, all of a sudden you can, you can hear the wind and you can hear all kinds of things and smell all kinds of things that you weren't able to notice before. It's, it's like we're on uh, kind of some kind of stimulus overload uh, mm-hmm. in our modern environment with lots of, lots of uh, noise that's constantly competing for attention, horns, sirens, uh, you know, email, phones, all those things are constantly placing demands on attention. And when you can unplug from all of that, uh, you get these really uh, striking bursts. And we see, for example, a 50% improvement in creativity scores when people have unplugged for three or four days. Are you serious? 50% in increase in creativity uh, just unplugging for a few days? That's that's uh, we we uh, have published that a little bit ago. Um, that uh, that's exactly what we found. Um, that uh, um, the, the thinking basically is that uh, the part of the brain that's responsible for uh, a lot of multitasking is the the frontal part of your brain. It's called the prefrontal cortex, but it's also responsible for higher order thinking. And so, if you're constantly multitasking, you're fatiguing that portion of the brain, depleting some of the glucose and glycogen storage in that part of the brain. And now if you have to do some problem solving, you're just not going to be as creative because that part of the brain has been kind of tired out. Is this why you call uh, nature the antidote to modern life? I think it's certainly something that helps provide a balance. Um, You know, I mean, uh, everybody uses technology. I'm talking to you over a phone right now and people are listening over the radio. So there's clearly technology always in our lives. But uh, just like anything, too much of a good thing can be harmful. And uh, what we're seeing is more and more people who are plugged in all the time. Uh, you see people who may be uh, upwards of 10, 12 hours a day in front of some kind of a screen. That's a TV, some kind of computer, some kind of uh, cell phone or smartphone. Um, and if they're taking that much time in front of a screen, they're simply just not outdoors and they're not interacting with other people. So. Uh, our technology is changing the way we interact with the world and how we interact with each other. 
Oh my heavens! This is—it's uh, so true and it's so interesting. We'll um, let's take a break. We're we're speaking again on this on this very I think uh, appropriate subject of nature. Doctor David Strayer is joining us from the University of Utah and how nature is the reset button. It's the antidote maybe to um, to all of these other demands we have for our attention, for our focus, for our brain to just keep multitasking. Stick with us, folks. We'll take a break. Come back. Continue this journey and. Uh, Figure out some some key tools that you might uh, be able to use to make sure you're allowing nature in and uh, calming the brain down a bit. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking about nature and the uh, the very interesting research coming out of the University of Utah about the role that nature can play in helping your brain um, to to you know regenerate, kind of renew. It's uh, some work that's been done by Dr. David Strayer, professor of cognition and neuroscience at uh, the University of Utah. He also um, is uh, he's been on the show before when we were talking about all of these crazy cars that are going to be so tech driven and tech focused? Uh, Doctor David Strayer, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks. It's true about even the cars. You can't even commute without like having your car interrupt you twenty times with every drive. You know we're wired twenty four seven. It seems. I mean, so you're really you're right that. Uh, uh, it's almost impossible to buy a car that doesn't have some kind of a uh, uh, some kind of a digital display um, and uh, you know wireless technology. So you can, you know, there's you're never uh, very far from uh, access to social media, um, and that just that multitasking clearly uh, in the context of driving is hazardous because uh, you're not paying attention to the other drivers or how well you're driving. Right. But in the context of your own kind of well-being in terms of thinking. Uh, you can just uh, overdo with constant access to digital media. I mean, totally. Like, how, how often do you need to check your Facebook page? Um, in reality, it's it's apparently wearing us down. All of the you know the text messages, the the Instagram messages. I mean, I can only imagine if somebody has all of their alerts on, their phone is going off constantly. And that you're saying that in the end takes a toll on the brain and the prefrontal cortex. So what we know is that uh, those little beeps and rings that uh, your phone does, just as an example, uh, triggers the dopaminergic reward parts of the brain, just like uh, almost like winning a little, uh, uh, you know, something out at the casino where you get this little burst of reward this, this, uh, because of the, the phone sent rang. Yeah. Why? Because it's part of your social network that's basically pinging you. And so it's become more and more difficult, especially for uh, teens, to not, uh, you know, look and see who's, who's, uh, who's you know, texted them. And you'll see, uh, I've seen a number of cases where kids will sleep with their phone under their pillow so that they can check it throughout the whole night whenever anything comes in. Oh, boy. So, so, and I'm assuming if the dopamine kind of centers of the brain keep popping off, then you're, get, you're also, I mean, your adrenal glands would be kicking in a lot. I mean, it seems like you would burn out. Yeah. I mean, another thing we know is that if you just look at a regular phone, 
that hasn't had the blue light reduced, it triggers melatonin release, and so it disrupts the sleep cycle. Uh, there's all kinds of ways in which this technology, again, technology is great if used in the right and proper settings, but used indiscriminately, it'll make you so you can't sleep. It'll basically just constantly be taking you away from being in the moment. And there's actually something really powerful about you know, being able to be in the moment and experiencing the full beauty of nature and, and or whatever else you're trying to do. Hmm. So, so in the end, the tech has been good. It's great. It just it does take a toll on us mentally, physically, emotionally, and science is proving that. When we want to go rejuvenate it, you, you talk about a three-day effect. What do you mean by that? You know, it, it actually uh, – I've, I've noticed it in my, uh, in my own uh, wanderings in the desert, but uh, – uh, really, the three-day syndrome was something that uh, was coined by uh, uh, Ken Sanders and, and Edward Abbey uh, back quite some time ago. And they noticed that they started thinking and behaving and, and just uh, noticing these qualitative differences in, uh, after two or three days uh, in nature. And that's why they kind of coined this three-day uh, syndrome or a three-day term where you've disconnected and unplugged from all the kind of uh, the rat race, really, uh, of modern t- society. And so we started testing that, and what we find actually is that that's where you find uh, these real sweet spots in terms of if people have been plugged for three or four days, these real big bursts of creativity, and that's where we're seeing some of the changes in, in, in the brain activity when we record uh, uh, some, of, some of the EEG to look at uh, uh, changes in the different attentional uh, centers of the brain. So basically unplug for three days and and you will see a change in the brain. Oh, you know, the truth is, uh, you do not have to go out for three days. That's a wonderful luxury that I wish everyone could have. Yeah. But you know what? You get benefits even for uh, 20 minutes to a half an hour. Um, I liken this to the research on age and exercise. Uh, Forty years ago, people were saying, go out and go, go hike or walk because it's good for you. But but there really wasn't much science behind it. Now we really understand how exercise is changing the physiology of the brain, uh, and it really is one of these kind of ways of uh, forestalling any negative effects of, of, of aging just by moderate exercise. Um, and so that we're kind of looking at that same kind of thing in terms of being in natural environments. Um, you don't have to be out for long periods of time. If you can get out there, great. But every place that we have, there almost all of our cities have parks, uh, places you can go walk, um, just go and go on those walks and, you know, try setting aside the cell phone for a little bit and just see what it's like to just walk and be in that experience. Mm. I mean, I used to do it. Uh, I do it when right after my show, I would go take about a 30, 40 minute walk. Um, and I noticed it does, it changes you. And then all of a sudden the weather changes and then you can't do it anymore, but you end up, I end up being more sick. I end up being more lethargic. It's harder to make it through the day. Mm-hmm. But if I go exercise and exert myself, um, and I'm in nature, I'd always go walk by the river and uh, stuff here on campus, and I thought, holy cow, it does it does clear your head. Um, I guess in the end, we, we were creatures that that's how we would handle our stress. We would be stressed, but we'd also be in nature, so it probably helped us heal faster. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is that, you know, we're, uh, we're as a species, we're smart, and we can create this technology, and we can live with it. But if your refrigerator is beeping at you, and your microwave is, and your horn's honking, and your emails are coming in, and the, the, the list goes on and on and on and on, you're just nothing but a slave to that technology. And so 
Um, you know, I always think about this as just a way of trying to be smart with that technology and manage your life rather than having it manage your life. Yeah. Does it does it actually slow down your processing? What does it do? Does it just cause fatigue in the brain? What does actually happen when that it needs the rejuvenation? So we think on the shorter term, uh, constant uh, multitasking draws down some of the glucose and glycogen supplies that fuel the prefrontal cortex, and that's your decision-making centers of the brain. And so if they all of a sudden have to solve some difficult problem, you just don't have the reserves uh, to kind of act on that information. Your brain's kind of tired. Think about it almost like a a muscle that's been used for a little while. And uh, if you rest it, then you'll be able to kind of use that muscle again. There's probably longer-term effects. So we're actually seeing that and we now understand about the neuroscience of, of attention that there are a number of different attentional networks that all work together for a healthy, uh, healthy cognition. And that uh, when you're in natural environments, you see the prefrontal cortex kind of quieting down a little bit. And there's another network that goes by the unglamorous name of the default, mo- default mode network that seems, seems to upregulate. Uh, and that's so, when you people meditate, you see the default mode become more active. Mm. You see people mind wandering, same kind of thing. And what we're seeing in uh, some of our EEG studies is that same thing, being in a natural environment where you unplug from all the digital technology lets the prefrontal cortex rest and upregulates the default mode. Interesting. What what do relationships do to our brain? I mean, it seems like if you're exhausted and tired of making decisions, you might end up pulling away from people. But is there a benefit to being around people? Oh yeah, we're social we're social creatures. I mean, that's actually another part that uh, uh, the late Cliff Nass was really studying is the way in which uh, not only does the constant multitasking uh, fatigue us uh, mentally and cognitively, but it actually kind of is a barrier between interpersonal uh, interactions. So you'll see people who may be at the same dinner table, and they're both texting each other. You know, <laughs> they could have actually just put the phone down and talked, but instead they'll actually send the text messages. The problem is that there's something lost in translation. And so when you have some kind of a digital media or a barrier, really, between social interactions, um, it actually, in the long run, uh, can have some negative impact. What uh, Cliff Nass from Stanford found was that it actually in- interferes with pro-social behavior. People become a little less social uh, and somewhat antisocial when they're constantly plugged in. Mm. Well, you, and you see it. You totally see it. And it's scary because it's these younger generations, in a way, that, that might be you know, totally adapting to all of the technology a lot faster. And I guess in the end, too, we don't... We don't have 20, 30 years of research, do we, on the impact of this technology? We don't. To some extent, uh, what, you, what we're relying on is we look at a lot of the uh, – uh, we, we just see that uh, – and, and as a professional, we're concerned when you start giving a three-month-old an iPad. Yeah. Um, and they have devices now that are marketed for kids that young. And we know that humans are a byproduct of the environment they're raised in. And so if you are plunking people in front of uh, digital technology at super early ages, they're not developing and they're not bonding with uh, other people. Um, we see that there's a, the digital media gets in the, is, a, is a barrier between a mother and child in terms of their, some of those bonding moments. If the mom is on the phone all the time checking or texting or updating social media or something like that and not interacting and making eye contact with the baby, uh, that has negative implications. Oh, yeah. Holy cow. We, yeah, we might be creating a bunch of monsters here, David. 
Well, we built it. That we built this. Uh, you know, it's our own. Uh, it's our making. Our own making, right? right? Uh, we just need to figure out a way of doing it, using it in a smart way. It's a technology in many many cases. It's very. Um, if it's not addicting, and some people think it may be addicting, uh, it certainly uh, spawns compulsive use, where people are now turning to it instead of interacting with other people or interacting in natural environments. Um, it changes the way we remember. Uh, so you see this Google memory effect where people just don't remember things because they can just look it up. Mm. Oh, totally. Yeah, right. Why, why remember it? I just need to remember where to find it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, what would you say, just as we wrap it up, David, what, what's, maybe, what's something that I can focus on today, walk away with today as a listener, to improve my own cognitive health and well-being? You know, I just try and take a little bit of time every day to just go on a walk. Um, you know, just where you and, and and a walk without plugged in and being on a phone. Uh, twenty minutes of just uh, or more, but if you can just even, you know, carve out twenty minutes of the day so you can just go out and be in natural environments. Go to a park if you get a chance. Go farther down to south southern Utah or up in the mountains and experience, uh, you know, all that nature has to happen. It has to offer. It's um, I mean, you know that all the major religions have nature as a key component. Right, so it's right. something as spiritual as well. And, and that, yeah, you can get your meditation in and get that default mode, I guess, kicking up. Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. Well, we appreciate you. David Strayer, Ph.D. from the University of Utah Department of Psychology. Thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you. Keep up the great work. Oh, that's beautiful. I mean, really, nature, folks. It's God's little reboot. He gave every one of us a, a chance to just get out, get back there, and and let nature work on you and your brain. Powerful stuff, folks. Uh, hoping uh, that you're seeing the good in the world. And one of the good things is nature. If you'll let it into your life, you got to put your machines down, though, your screens down. We'll take a break, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. When we come back, we'll be doing a little Coach's Corner. Stick with us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. I don't know. What do you think, folks? It's hard. It's hard to get in, let alone get out back to nature. That's not an easy thing either. But when it comes right down to it, we all know we're just kind of floating, right? We're just we're, we're floating. We thought that we would have you know, a lot of time to focus. With all this technology, it would buy us more time, right? More time to be with the people we love, more time to be attentive and in tune. And in reality, what ends up happening is not even close. We still don't have time. And so uh, I'm doing a big date night event in the next uh, uh, on the, on this Saturday for Valentine's Day. And what I'm talking about is a simple idea of being in love, right? So when somebody thinks about being in love, they always think of the love part. Like the the love is the is the important part. You gotta as long as you have the love part, life is gonna be great. But what I'm gonna be focusing on in the date night is not the love part, but the in part. You know, the in. You gotta be in love. It's kinda like being in debt. It's not the debt, it's being in the debt that's the problem. When you're inundated in the debt, uh, it's the problem. But if we could be inundated in the love, then life would be great. We're just overwhelmed and so full of love for each other. 
So when we talk about it, I'm going to get into four different things to make sure that we get in. And our nature, really, uh, we've been told, is a great way to get in. And part of that is because it just automatically probably takes you to a whole different level of in vibration of life, I guess, because normally we're just kind of vibrating off of our screens and we're just feeling all of this intensity. In our marriages, in our relationships, four keys to get in the relationship. Number one, you got to tune into your partner. I've been married 25 years in a couple of days, and um, here's the deal. If I don't listen to my partner, if I don't pay attention to my partner, then I do not have a clue what her needs are, her wants are. You have got to learn, all of us have got to learn to tune in to what's really going on with our spouse. What are they really thinking? By the way, like you remember the old radio tuner where you had to tune in and dial in the radio? You might have to adjust it depending on where you were. But the minute you tuned in, it would eliminate a lot of the static. It would get rid of some of the interference. We've got to figure out and be present enough with our spouses to be able to tune into what they're really trying to say. And after 25 years, we should be really good at it, right? Well, only if you've been in. If you haven't been in, then you're not going to be great at being able to dial into what your partner's saying. Some solutions for that are very simply find ways to clarify what your partner is saying. Don't assume you know what they mean because they're saying certain words. Ask them, what do you mean by that? When you say that, I don't know, I'm worried about today. It's not going to go so well. Don't assume you know exactly what that means and don't just like answer it for them. What do you mean? What are you worried about? And let them explain more. Spend more time actually looking at your partner. You know, it's easier to tune into something that you're looking at, right? It might be easier to tune into somebody that you're listening to. So we can tune in with our eyes. We can tune in with our ears. We can tune in with our whole heart. We got to tune into our partner. Another rule, allow your partner in. One of the biggest complaints I hear from par- uh, in marriage uh, coaching and relationship coaching is, I don't even feel like I know my husband. He doesn't even let me into his world. She asks you how your day is. You're like, fine, my day's fine. No more need to discuss it. Do you let your spouse in? Do they share what's really in their heart and in their mind? Do they feel safe enough to share it? Because if they don't feel safe enough to share it, they're not going to share it. Are you a, a safe spouse or will, you know, you get laughed at? We've got to allow our partners into our fears, our beliefs, our concerns, and that means you've got to be able to hear it. Uh, there was some interesting research done of women that say they want to hear what's going on in their husband's heart, what they're thinking in their mind, and as soon as the husband shares it, almost inevitably the wife's like, oh, I can't believe you're thinking that. You always think that. I know. My bad. If you want your partner to share more, you've got to be able to handle what they bring, and you've also got to be able to make it safe. Another rule is stay more involved in each other's lives. A complaint I hear all of the time is it doesn't seem like my partner's even into the family. They're not even paying attention. They're never involved, which means, dads, you need to help more. Be there for homework. Help your kids do their assignments. Run the carpools more. Pick up the team. Drive the team. Be involved. Also, can I just suggest watch out for how we do our distribution of chores and of um, division of labor. You will make these divisions when you're young, maybe naive. The wife does everything on the inside of the house. The husband does everything on the outside of the house. Be careful, ladies. 
because there's because we have lighting and technology inside the house, you can end up working all night till midnight, but we can only mow the lawn till it's dusk. If you want a fair and equal division of labor, we're going to have to learn to talk about it. And then last but not least, you got to touch. You got to be in touch with each other. If you remember, that's where a lot of the chemicals started in the first place. So make sure you're touching. Uh, and you can touch, you know, in non-sexual ways. You can hold hands. You can hug. You can kiss in front of the kids and drive them crazy. That's the reason we're in love, right? Keep in touch. That's one of the goals. Stay involved. Allow your partner in and tune in to your partner. That's the way you stay in love. And that is the Coach's Corner. We'll take a break, my friends. We'll be back next hour. More ideas right here on the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning. Welcome to the week. Hopefully you're recovering from the Super Bowl uh, guacamole hangover. I skipped breakfast. I did too. I'm like, I just don't feel like it. Yeah. We had had wings. Uh I'm winged out. Yeah, we had pizza and Ugh. other stuff. So Blah. ends up you just you walk away and you're like, I just ate a ton of food. I don't yeah, feel this like isn't it today. Working for me. Hmm. Mm. But uh, a great game. I am very happy for the Broncos. I'm convinced Manning will now be able to retire. Would he you? now has as many Super Bowl championships as his brother. Yes. Everyone is asking, was that an issue? And he goes, I don't compete with my brother. Like, Come on. He's no competition. He's your brother. You you have all the records. You you got you were the highest paid quarterback because you were the best quarterback, but right. you were also on a team that just things happened. You didn't make it. Your brother played on a team that was bad and then just got hot in the playoffs and won the Super Bowl. Yeah. It wasn't like it was a good team that whole season. He was okay, he just and then hit it at the right time. But and then he, he was an MVP, right? Yeah, he he did it twice where they just sort of kind of got hot in the playoffs and won. Man. And you're looking at it like, Eli? Eli Manning? Little, little, little Eli? He's got two Super Bowls? Because now he goes out and plays and makes all these mistakes like he did most of the season. Yeah. And people are just like, who is this guy? And what a like, family. But then he can come back with, I have two Super Bowls. Yeah. Because I play like this, but meh. meh. I've got Super Bowls. But what are now, you going to do? Now he's, now, I mean, the, the, the Manning parents have got to be proud. I mean, not that... But just to have kids that are loving what they do, talented people. Yeah. And then there's the third Manning brother that I feel bad for. He's a curling star. He's a lawyer. He's a lawyer. He's doing great. Oh. He's, he just, I don't know. I guess, I guess the reality is Peyton's done, 39 years old. Not necessarily. Well, he's, well whether he stays or goes, he's, he sure doesn't have an arm. Throws like Ben. He can make an argument. He says he's listened to his coaches. Oh, is that what he's doing now? Yeah. That's, that, that's what he told a news station this morning. But he audibles well. He's incredible. That was a great win. And Cam will have his day. I mean, that was 
Cam had a beat down. Six sacks. He'll be okay. Well, the, the the members of the defense from the Broncos were saying that you look where Carolina, they came out of a division that was pretty weak. Mm-hmm. They the, You look at who they played throughout the season, no one defensively challenged them right. at all. And so the first time they play a defense that really stood up to them, they didn't respond. That was amazing. And so that was kind of the story of the game. Yeah. And then they – oh, that kicker missed that kick too. Because it's not like the Denver Broncos scored at some rapid pace. Oh, no. <laughs> but, I mean, it, but that's it. It was special teams. It was defense. And both touchdowns were set up off turnovers. Yeah. So it gave them a short field. That was fun. That, so, that made the game exciting. Yeah. There was – Moments of excitement. Really, the best one of the best offenses against the best defense. You can't beat that. Long strings of just nothing happening. Yeah, just lots and lots of running. Mm-hmm. Every time the Broncos would run, my kids would be mad. They're like, oh, throw the football. I Man, we get it. You got to run a little to throw. But whatever happened to the tight ends of this league? Well, that's uh, Gronkowski. He's on the Patriots. Yeah, but is he the only? I mean, it seems like no, there was a, a Denver needed a little tight end action. They have a tight end, but what do they call uh, those, He might have been covered. What are those slot backs? The fast, speedy ones, right? Those guys. The Carolina Panthers have a. I think his name's Greg Olson. He's a. Yeah. He's a tight end. Yeah. He was covered. That was it. <laughs> they couldn't get the football out fast enough because the defense was on top of the quarterback so quickly. So mm. they're tight ends there, but you have to have some time to get the ball to them. Hopefully, at the end of the at the end of the Super Bowl, everyone was able to leave. They take their five thousand dollars seat ticket. The mayor of uh, or governor of North Carolina got into an accident. Oh, he did. Someone rear-ended his car. He's oh, fine. Oh, that's bad news. When all of a sudden you're like some drunk reveler behind you. No implication Allegedly. of any alleged I'm making this up. intoxication. And then all of a sudden, was that the governor? And then all these secret guard security people get out. He may not have that in other states. You just hit the governor. He's just a guy. You will pay for that. So you want the ratings? Let's hear the ratings. The ratings were apparently released an hour ago. Yes. The Hollywood Reporter. Okay. People who pay attention to TV. The first number for Super Bowl 50 based on Nielsen metered markets is a 49 rating. Wow. And a massive 73 share among households. I don't, you know. 73%? I'm not sure how that, that... 73 I was out trying of 1,000? I was trying to figure out how okay. that was uh, okay. set up. But that's just not a... That's off from last year's 49.7 rating. Oh, so last year got a 49.7. This yeah. year got a 49. The 2015 overnight ratings marked an all-time high for the Super Bowl. So that was last year, ultimately translating to an average of 114 million viewers it topped the previous year's game and became the most watched telecast in U.S. TV history. That was last year's last Super year. Bowl. Uh, this year, what's that? Maybe it's because Tom Brady wasn't in the game. Maybe because there wasn't a big argument over Inflategate. Could have been. So what they're saying is that, uh, where's the number? I'll bet you tens of millions watched. I'm going to go with... If it was just down a few percent, a point something percentage point, it was 112 million. My guess is between 10 million and 120 million. So the initial number is <laughs> great a, guess. The 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 rating was a 49. Yeah, they haven't put out the actual viewers yet. They're uh, still crunching the numbers. It well, looks like. we already have it though from Ben. It's somewhere ranging between 10 million and 120 million. It'll probably be. About 113 million. So just mm. under last oh. year's. 
so close. But, you know, what that may mean is they're missing, you know, one little streaming device. Could have been. some. Maybe they weren't just – maybe somebody didn't say, write down the Roku numbers. I'm not sure if they, they factor in streaming on some of the initial numbers. I think it might just yeah. be TV. Boy. Well, that's why they can get half a million dollars for the rights to, you know, Thursday night football for the NFL. It's the most watched show around. Yeah. It's the hottest game in the world. Uh, well, those are interesting. Interesting so numbers. So just off of last year's, last year got 114.4 million viewers, so it's probably just below that. Well, and I, I think it'd be interesting to see how the uh, the ratings went throughout the night. Yeah. Because usually it peaks. Like last year, last year here it says uh, the halftime, it peaked at 118 million at halftime. And then dropped off because it was well, yeah. Of, so a bunch. So apparently a bunch of like non fans. So maybe like some of, you know the the people that love Coldplay. Oof. The Coldplay singer doesn't even watch football. He knows nothing about football. Yes, I saw that. But apparently Beyonce does. Apparently, because she was wearing her leotard or whatever you call those things. So you bring her, Bruno Mars, uh, in my in my opinion, to save halftime, which they they did. Except the problem is it starts out with Coldplay, then you bring in Beyonce and Bruno yeah. Mars to kind of bring up the pace, pump and up the, the volume, the heartbeat of America, and then then you go back to the whole fix you. Well, let's throw a montage of photos, and you're just like, seriously, what are and we doing? and we we've, we've talked about it, but I think what they should have brought in was a better audio. Board operator. They could have done that because the audio was horrible. We heard no trouble. So all I saw was Beyonce lip syncing and gyrating mm. with 20 women. Mm. And then Bruno dancing and gyrating with 20 men. There's only six. And then the flowers, vivid. You, Did yeah, you the, see the flowers, flowers opening were and closing? Good. Yeah, because, you know. And then the love. They had a whole thing about love. Yeah. I was like, this is very Matt Townsend-ish. Totally. Type choreography and... It was fantastic. It was like, wow, this is like the show every day. If I could have just heard it, it would have been <laughs> incredible. Did you hear what happened in Wisconsin, by the way? You think you have it bad, you know, just trying to get around your neighborhood during Super Bowl Sunday. Um, more than a dozen cars and trucks broke through the ice in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, Saturday. They were all there in order to attend the Winterfest, the town's annual winter festival. They parked 15 or more cars on the ice, and then the ice broke. So you go back to your car, underwater, 12 cars, three trucks, ruined. Man. What do you do? What do you do? Great question. I think you find out who's in charge. Uh, State Farm? Yeah. Are you there? We parked our car, and then the parking lot turned into being a lake, and now we can't find our car. Do you think they're going to be like, yeah, we'll fix it? No. Oh, man. It's sad, too, because who's going to go in after your car? Uh, Excuse me, valet? Can you see my car? Yeah, those are its headlights right there. Can you go get that? Just pull it out here. Yeah. Anyway. It said, like, the uh, the damage to engines and interiors of cars. Such a mess. Blasted. All your gum would be ruined. Your chargers. 
Anyway, uh, interesting, interesting story. So, folks, again, it could be worse. It could be worse. Let's uh, get to the headlines, Terry. Anything going on around the rest of the world we need to pay attention to? It is yesterday. It was part of the pregame show as, as normal. It has been the tradition of the last few years. The Obama White House has a press conference. Not a press conference. They sit down with a reporter from that right. TV that TV network. And, and the they, missus, she participated. They discuss some of the important things that are happening. One of the th- They discussed a whole bunch of different issues. One thing that stood out, the Obamas say one of the worst parts of the White House is the Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi? Gail King was doing the interview. She's a CBS uh, yeah. morning show host. Oprah's pal. She's asked, asked the question, is what, do you have any advice for the new couple coming into the White House? For instance, about the job, about the house. Is the water pressure any good? Is there Wi-Fi? Does the toilet in the Lincoln bedroom run? Any sort of sort of nagging things that happen. She was asking as a joke, yeah. you know, a lighthearted, probably a starter question to get things on a, on a good, uh, a good temp with everybody. And um, they said, well... You know, the whole tech thing, we've been trying to get that straight for for the next folks coming in because it's an old building. So there's a lot of dead spots where the Wi-Fi doesn't work, the president said. He goes, (laughs) it could be a little sketchy. The first lady remarked that, uh, as the president added, that it can be an issue, especially for daughters, Sasha and Malia, who get really irritated sometimes as they're trying to do homework and things, and the Wi-Fi just drops out. At Stacy's house, they have perfect Wi-Fi. They can stream Netflix without any problem. Well, go live with Stacy. Go live over there. Over at the he's over at Biden's house, and they don't have any Wi-Fi yeah. problems over there. Um, more serious note here: the Obama administration asking the U.S. Congress for more than 1.8 billion dollars of emergency funding to fight the Zika virus in the United States and other countries. They announced this morning the funding would be split between the Department of Health and Human Services, the Agency for International Development, and the State Department to support mosquito control programs, vaccine research, and health services for low-income pregnant women. The White House said in a statement. So that's that Zika virus yeah. story just continues to roll out. Oh, wow. Former President George W. Bush made his first public appearance campaigning for Jeb Bush in New Hampshire and South Carolina on Sunday in a Super Bowl ad. Oh, boy. Crowdfunded by the Super PAC Ride to Rise, Bush's 32nd spot aired locally during the second half of the game between the Broncos and the Panthers. The Associated Press reports. Here it is. The first job of the president is to protect America. Our next president must be prepared to lead. I know Jeb. I know his good heart and his strong backbone. Jeb will unite our country. He knows how to bring the world together against terror. And he knows when tough measures must be taken. Experience and judgment count in the Oval Office. Jeb Bush is a leader who will keep our country safe. Jeb Bush. Right to Rise USA is responsible for the content of this message. Political ad. Is he still alive? Yeah. I haven't heard from him for eight years. Why not just disappear? Isn't that crazy? He's out. He's back. Jeb currently holds a 9.7% support in New Hampshire, according to Real Clear Politics, which places Ted Cruz, Kasich, Marco Rubio, and Donald Trump ahead of him. Interesting. So we'll see where that goes. During a town hall in New Hampshire Sunday, Jeb Bush recalled Donald Trump's remarks in July, where he said Arizona Senator John McCain was only a war hero because he was captured. Calling them losers, Donald Trump. You're the loser, Bush said. Ooh, if, you, yeah. if you remember that whole yeah, thing. Yeah. Now, it's, it's unc- I, I'd have to go back and look at it. I don't know if he called him a loser for getting captured. I think he called him a loser for losing the election. Right. So not, right. not his armed services, but there was the loser comment that came through there. Uh, Donald Trump fired back this morning saying that Jeb Bush doesn't have the persona to go further in the race and can't even attack his opponents effectively. 
But you look at Jeb. Jeb's a loser. He spent $110 million so far. He's at the bottom of the pack or toward the bottom of the pack. He's going nowhere. And the only thing he does is attack me. That's, you know, he thinks if he attacks me, that's going to show he's tough. But every time he attacks me, he melts like butter. So, you know, look, I, I don't see him going anywhere. The last thing we need, frankly, is another bush. Wow. He melts like butter. Melts like butter. Interesting. They're still going at it. Yes. I mean, Bush is way down the line, but Trump, every time he gets a chance to talk about anybody, he always goes to Jeb. Exclamation point. He, it feels like there's bad blood there. He's got a favorite. There's bad butter there. But he's also got a target that doesn't really fire back effectively. Yeah. So yeah, why not? Good. Well, good. But at the same time, Bush is going after him, so yeah. Trump tries to respond, but... Game on. Game on. Like butter. Like butter. Good job. Well done. Let's uh, let's do this. Let's take a break. We're going to come back. When we when we come back, we'll be speaking with Dr. Uh, Stephen Betchen, and uh, he's going to be walking us through some interesting um, research about how important is physical attraction to a relationship. I mean, with, you know, well, you got to have physical attraction. You hear that all the time. But... Uh, there, there, there might be more reasons that we marry without physical attraction as well. We'll be uh, getting into that in just a few minutes with Dr. Stephen J. Betcham. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, have you ever found yourself, you know, really liking somebody? You think they're incredible, you're great, but you're just not attracted to their physical appearance. Well, does it really matter? How big of a deal should physical attraction play in our relationships? You know, and attraction has many different dimensions. You might be attracted to their personality, to their style, just to their ability to just make you feel at ease and calm. And so we wanted to uh, talk to an expert on the subject. Dr. Stephen Betchen is the author of Magnetic Partners. Discover how the hidden conflict that once attracted you to each other is now driving you apart. And he joins us today to talk about the, uh, you know, more reasons that we, than, the more reasons why we marry Without uh, physical attraction, we appreciate him and this article that he wrote on psychology today. Dr. Stephen Betchen, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. And um, talk to us about physical attraction because it's when – I, when I work with uh, singles, I, I end up hearing two kinds of things. Like from some, I hear that it's critical. It's essential. Physical attraction is the key. That's the beginning. That's where everything starts. And then others uh, like that have maybe been married before realize that there's more to attraction than meets the eye. What what is what do you think? What is what role does physical attraction play um, in in our relationships? Well, first, I'd like to say that um, I'm not ruling out all the other uh, aspects of attraction when I focus on physical attraction. I do think that sharing things in common somebody having similar values, uh, similar hobbies, uh, all are all important. Uh, I just think that we, we give short shrift to physical attraction. And uh, I've seen 
countless couples over the last 35 plus years. And I've found that physical attraction is very, very important. Um, it just shouldn't be excluded. And I think a lot of people are uh, feel that it's shallow to consider physical attraction. But you have to wake up every morning next to that person mm-hmm. for the rest of your life. And uh, it certainly helps, and it helps as the relationship goes on in years to have that initial physical attraction as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're going to age with each other. And, I mean, in reality, it's where, you know, if, if, if we're more naturally attracted to one look over another look, it seems like that might be something that would bond us together more. Absolutely. And I hear these, uh, you know, if you look at the online dating uh, sites and you see people will say, chemistry is a must. Uh, and I do believe that chemistry is a must. Uh, my, my one concern is a lot of people really don't understand what chemistry is. Right. Uh, chemistry doesn't have to necessarily be physical chemistry. It could be being attracted to the same old person that might be bad for you. Um, but nevertheless, chemistry is chemistry, and it is, it is really important. What, so when you think and, and talk about chemistry, I mean, because a lot of chemistry, it seems like, is just this natural attraction chemistry that gets us, you know, that romantic love, that romantic chemistry that gets us uh, connected and wanting each other. But it also, it also kind of it, it tapers off eventually, doesn't it? Well, I, I believe that um, if you have a strong initial physical attraction, in other words, um, it's your type. That person is your type. And some people will tell me that they have a type and some people will say they don't have a type. But uh, if, if that person really resonates with you physically, I think that it just lasts a lot longer as you both age. I think that it's very important to have it. I've seen couples that have been married for 25, 30 years uh, who've been, who were married for other reasons other than physical attraction. They've kind of left that one out, and they married because the person is a good person, a solid person, a loyal person, an honest person. But they just left out passion, sex, attraction. And before you know it, they meet somebody who blows their doors off, and they're in real conflict. Hmm. Yeah, and then they're, yeah, they're looking elsewhere. If you have that strong initial attraction, it's hard for somebody to come in and blow your doors off if you already have it at home. Is um, I, I mean, does 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 attractiveness go up with time? It seems like uh, I've read some research somewhere that the more I get to know you, the more I understand who you are. I I might become more attracted to you. Also, yeah, that was raised. Uh, that issue was raised um, with my graduate students uh, who offered some of their personal experiences and relationships and said that at first they went out with somebody and uh, they felt that the person was just a buddy or a friend. They never considered them attractive, but as they got to know them a little more, then they became more attracted to the person. Uh, I, I believe that if that's the case, the attraction was probably there, but it was repressed for one reason or another. Hmm. Uh, and all that, all that happened was the repression was lifted and they, were, they let themselves open to be attracted. It doesn't really answer the question of whether, um, if it's not there, you can kind of get it later. Because I haven't really seen that in all the couples that I've seen over the years. I've seen people get um, increase attraction when they've already had attraction. I've seen them lose the attraction when they had it initially and get it back. But I've rarely seen anybody uh, get it when they've never had it to begin with. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So, yeah. Then, then I guess you're you're just inventing it. You're trying to create it. Is it? Is there a 
you know, so if let's say that you somebody's out there listening and they married somebody that they didn't have physical attraction for, but you know, they were a strong provider and they they were nice and uh safe, what 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 do they do? What what are they supposed to do to I guess to grow the love or to or the attraction, if anything? Well, uh, again, in, in one of my articles on on this subject, I wrote that I'm not suggesting that if you don't have physical attraction, your relationship or your marriage is doomed. It's not necessarily the case. A lot of people focus more on loyalty and honesty and security and safety, and that's fine if that's what they want. I, I wouldn't want to interfere with that. It's the people that come in that have all those things, um, and they don't have the physical attraction, and they're bothered by it. Mm. And so they can try different things, Matt. I mean, they can they can go out more. They can uh, spice up their sex lives. They can open communication, go to marriage enrichment or sexual enrichment. They can do a lot of different things, but it's going to be tough if you've never had it. It's going to be very tough. I think I think some couples, they just kind of get it to where it's tolerable enough. Is it – I mean, I guess some of this is – it's just so – that's what you're saying. It's so individual – like some people want more, you know, some people feel like they're – I mean they might start the whole thing just with physical and not know any of the emotional or other social traits of their partner. Is there is there a way to get people to be more fully evaluative of their partner before they're marrying them? Like looking well, at all the different things or – because it seems like so much of it just goes with chemistry, right? It just – yeah, they don't even think if they're attracted. They just know they're attracted to her, and they love his personality. And it's it just is all so chemically charged at the beginning, and then it seems when that some of that fades, then we're left holding the bag. Exactly. I, I ask people what attracted uh, to one another, and I hear the, the the most interesting things. Like I I loved his hands. I've heard, huh. or I love the way she just flicks her hair. Uh, or I love the way she walks, or I love the way he makes me laugh. And um, and sometimes they, they won't even come out and say, well, I love uh, the shape of her body or her breast size or, or his butt or something like that. They won't even say that yeah. because they consider that shallow. But I, I think it's important, and I think they need to think about those kinds of things. I need to, They need to think about whether they can gaze into that person's eyes, uh, whether they can make love with with their eyes open. I mean, a lot of people underestimate that. Yeah. Uh, but that shows you that you're really into the person, very physically attractive. No, interesting. It really is. And then, like you're saying, this is somebody you want to spend the rest of your life with. You have to be able to look at each other. You have to be able to see each other and and even, you know, be intrigued by, by your partner. We're speaking with Dr. David Strayer. If, 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 or sorry, not Dr. David Strayer. We're speaking with our good friend, um, oh, my heavens, so sorry, Dr. Stephen Betchen. And uh, he's the author of a, a really, I believe, kind of uh, important article that all of us need to be looking at, More Reasons We Marry Without Physical Attraction, um, there's a lot of stuff going on, folks, when we're trying to be and fall in love. We'll take a break, come back, and continue this discussion with Dr. Betchen. If you want to, go to his website, stephenbetchen.com, where you can get more information about his books and his, his practice. Stick with us, folks. Uh, untying, un, hopefully unbundling love and how we can um, maybe create a more balanced approach to our love life. Stick with us. We'll be right back. 
Rhodes, warm and serve rolls from freezer to table in 15 minutes or less and a variety of choices in your grocer's freezer. Simple things that make life better. Rhodes Bake and Serve. Cloverleaf, Butterflake, Swirl Rolls. All made using Rhodes Bake and Serve Dinner Rolls. Simple things that make life better. Rhodes Bake and Serve. Remember what it was like sitting around talking with your friends? Remember the teenage years with your hand hovering over the telephone going, what am I going to say? Let's go through the script. I have nothing to say. Boy, that's the scariest moment of your life. Through the Garage Door brings you back to the good old days to combine your favorite rock music with friendly conversation. I guess you wouldn't know it unless I told you I love you. Weekdays at 12 Eastern Time here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us, Dr. Stephen Betchen. He specializes in marriage and family therapy and is trained at Penn's uh, renowned Marriage Council of Philadelphia. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist, a certified sex therapist, and maintains a private practice in New Jersey. He's also uh, the author of the latest book, Magnetic Partners. Discover how the hidden conflict that once attracted you to each other is now driving you apart. He's also a blog writer on psychologytoday.com, and uh, we're so honored to have you. Dr. Stephen Betchen, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome uh, back. Thanks, thanks for having me. You bet. Talk to me about, um, as we're talking about physical attraction, you, you, uh, you're smart in that you say, you know, there, you can be physically attracted and still connected in every other way to your partner. It's not – we don't have to dichotomize this discussion to be either I'm physically attracted or I'm not. And I mean it might even be that you're kind of physically attracted but just not incredibly physically attracted to your partner, right? I mean there's degrees of attraction. Yes, and I think, uh, again, some people can live without the physical attraction in the relationship, and that's their choice, and that's fine. And some people can um, live with a certain uh, amount of it. Uh, other people who, uh, you know, might uh, want to be uh, passionately crazy about the person, somewhat obsessive about the person, and they love that kind of feeling or the high they get from that, and that's their prerogative also. It's really... I, you know, I try not to fix people who don't feel that they have a problem. Right, right. Yeah, so why would you? And then they say, listen, we're, we're having sex once every six months, and we don't mind. Uh, and, um, you know, we have a lot of other things going on in our, on our lives. That's fine. That's yeah. fine with me. I and don't mess with that. When you, you know, this is the week of love and relationships. But, I mean, I guess what you will end up dealing with in your practice is if somebody comes in and uh, maybe their partner is now finding someone else more attractive. Right. So, I mean, in the end, I guess that could just be a character flaw of a partner just looking somewhere else. It could also just be, you know, we're getting older and we're not maybe looking as good as we we should. What advice do you give to those couples where the attraction to each other is maybe fading a bit? 
Well, again, I usually, uh, after I see the couple together, I usually split them up, uh, have them uh, in for at least one individual session each, and ask them about initial attraction. And uh, I ask them about their past relationships prior to their, their relationship or their marriage. And uh, I want to get a, a read on who, they're generally, who they've generally been attracted to over the years. So I can kind of assess what's really going on. Is it that they were very attracted to one another, but certain things happened during the relationship or one partner did something to the other that's helped to dissipate that attraction? Mm. Uh, that, could, that could also happen. Yeah, I mean, just but, like, yeah, like somebody having an affair right. might make you fall, you know, or see them completely differently as less attractive. That's right. I mean, some people can, can, can bounce back from that and some people can't bounce back from that and it really can turn them off and, and traumatize them. Uh, and uh, that will affect the attraction. But I've heard people say, even after divorce, I've heard people say, you know, uh, I'm still attracted to her. Mm-hmm. I don't like her. I don't want to be married, but I'm still attracted to her. I'm going yeah. to be very objective about this and tell you that she's an attractive person, and I'm subjectively attracted to her. <laughs> I've heard that numerous times. Yeah, oh, yeah. Isn't that – it's an interesting it's an interesting component. And then you think of – um, that you know, in many cultures where marriages or wedding or weddings are arranged, there's there's still can be attraction. I mean, some of this is just it's just nature, right? It's nature. It's it's you finding somebody that one person that or one of many that that are really that just ring your bell. You know, I do believe in uh, a lot of uh, psychotherapists don't believe in the soulmate concept. I do believe in it. I just think that there are many soulmates out there mm-hmm. in person. But there are a lot of reasons why people are attracted. I mean, you know, the, the biologists look to, to, to uh, biological chemistry, neurology to explain it. Uh, analysts look to um, uh, more psychological-oriented theories, such as we marry our opposite-sex parent, um, others believe we marry people the same level of what we call differentiation of self or, or emotional maturity. There are a lot of reasons for this. I don't negate any of the reasons. I just believe that um, we need to take into account the physical attraction. For whatever, whatever reason it, is, it exists, I just think it's important. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I do too. And, and especially um, even if it's just buying you some time to go deeper – into each other's, you know, other gifts and and strengths. But then, like you said, you know, 20 years into this, 30 years into this, I want to be able to look across the table and still find this incredibly attractive person. And I've had people that have said to me, uh, I never thought about that. And and these are young people, young married couples. uh, They've said, we never really thought about that. We were raised to think about loyalty and trust, uh, to find a good, solid person, a good provider, a person that would make a good parent. These are the things we thought about. And we, 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 we think we're reasonably attractive people. It's not that we, we married people that we thought were, were unattractive or ugly. It's just that we never really thought mm. about the level of passion, the level of attraction that, that needs to be there. And now it's causing us a real problem. Yeah. Well, and I think it's smart. We, we may as well be evaluating that as we're dating. Which yeah, is... and it leaves the door open. Anytime there's something this big that might be missing, it just leaves the door open for something to happen in the future. For example, you, you happen to run into somebody. It could happen in 
three months uh, following a marriage. It could happen in 20 years following a marriage that you just bump into somebody that just hits you between the eyes. And then you go into this kind of crazy psychotic state and you can't understand what's happened. Oh, so true. And then all of a sudden, a slip or a slide. Yeah, you've got a house and you've got children. Mm -hmm. and you've got all of this other stuff. And, and then it presents a lot of real conflict for people who say, well, should I, should I ruin all of this and give up all this for this feeling that I have? Right. And, and yeah, and she's, I just, she's so different. Yeah, I've heard it a million times. Well, I appreciate it. I think it's, uh, I think it's a, a very important component as well. And like you're saying, it can be easily balanced with all other traits. We don't, it's not an either or. But Dr. Stephen Betchen, we appreciate you and uh, highly recommend the great uh, work and article you've written there on psychology today. Also, would suggest you go check out uh, Dr. Betchen's uh, website, stephenbetchen.com. And um, and just see all the great work he's doing there. We'll take you a break, know, folks. Magneticpartners.net, Matt. Oh, and magneticpartners.net uh, for that latest book that he's written about couples. Interesting stuff, folks. We'll take a break and come back, visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up uh, on their show today. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to throw it down to our good buddies down there at BYU Sports Nation, uh, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. Yeah. How are you, brothers? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, did you guys watch the football game last night? Yeah, there was uh, a football course. game last night. Yeah, it was the Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah, that one. I remember the Bud <laughs> What was hey, don't, that? Don't pay any attention to... Uh, our photographer specialist in the studio, Julian. Is that, was that Julian just back there talking, not knowing you guys are on the air? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what was happening. Julian, 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 Julian's mentioning Budweiser. What a he knows. Julian's <laughs> yeah. send him out to take HR a lap. Is, Listen, HR is composing an email. <laughs> he was just he was just quoting Peyton Manning during his on the field interview. Oh, he was. Right yeah, at, right no, that was weird. What was that about? Yeah, I'm going to drink a lot of fill in the blank. I know tonight. Yeah, that, I, we're the only that radio was, station in the country that feels weird about saying that. Well, yeah, that, <laughs> but that was an interesting moment. I'm thinking, oh, come on, Peyton, you don't need to go there. I oh, mean, it was cute. Well, he, he probably uh, that was product placement. Well, sure, I guess, but he didn't need to go there. He's got money. Need no want. Yes, absolutely. Hey, um, what do you guys think? Uh, what do you think about the game? That was some pretty amazing yeah, defense. It was an interesting game. Yeah, Denver's defense is legit for sure. So I mean, they won good. that game. Peyton Manning essentially only scored two field goals. Yeah. And uh, that's all he needed to do, really. The play, the play of the game, or lack thereof, to me, was the uh, call that wasn't reversed on the first drive by Carolina. So they, it, it clearly looked like a catch. Apparently, I don't know yeah. what a catch is now, I guess. Well, um, yeah. So they don't reverse it, and then I think it's the next play or two or three. Two plays later. Two plays later, Denver strips the ball, gets a touchdown. Now Denver is playing ahead 10 nothing the rest of the game instead of Carolina mm. having it either 3 nothing or maybe going down and tying it or leading 7-3. That changed the dynamic of the entire game the rest of the way. So, you know, that is some great, uh, that's some great um, evaluation there. Because I'm not sure that Peyton Manning is going to bring Denver back in that game. Like I said, he only essentially scored six points. He benefited from a 61-yard punt return. 
He uh, benefited from defensive touchdown, from a turnover that got the ball down to the one Mm -hmm. uh, or five or whatever. So the Denver defense did what they needed to do to win this game, which was be elite. They were awesome. Oh, but again, where in the world did, I guess, I guess, where did Cam go? I think they rang his bell. He he left the post-game press conference. Yeah, did you see that? He was a little mad, a little, like, just worn out, exhausted. I would be, too. I would be, too. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, favorite commercial? Besides uh, Puppy Monkey Baby. Isn't that so weird? (laughs) That was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Puppy Monkey Baby. Like, honestly, where does that come from? I like the uh, Yes and Born trailer. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. Yep. That was cool. That's going to be cool. What? I knew there was a fourth movie, but I had forgotten. Puppy, puppy monkey, baby. Um, puppy monkey, baby. What, puppy monkey, puppy baby. monkey, baby. What about uh, what about the singing sheep? <laughs> Pretty good. That was what one of my favorites. All of the seen animal, that. There were like so I've, many animal commercials. I've seen the movie, here. babe. So it's not. I mean, like Baram you. That was more impressive to me than singing Queen. <laughs> Do you know how hard it is to sing Queen and be a sheep? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's a hard combo. A, yeah, that's a that is a hard knock life. That's what about true. the what about the uh, Doritos commercial? Okay, that was which one? Disturbing. What was it? <laughs> the in <laughs> there's an ultrasound going in the deli- on. Yeah, in the and the oh, yeah. eating Doritos <laughs> and he's waving the chip and the baby's kind of following it and then the wife throws the Doritos <laughs> and well she has the baby. Then then she goes into labor. Yeah, yeah. 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 That was that's, very unhealthy for that baby. I, I think that's an bad. Sound yeah. at that juncture. No, right, who knows? Exactly. Was that 15 weeks? 20? That's very unhealthy. <laughs> I'm maybe glad. It was, Let's break down the reality. The, maybe it was the 36 week one. Yeah, Hopefully. that was probably the final one. Hopefully, but you know what? You don't you don't play with health like that. You don't bring Doritos into the no. You know, I agree. Room like that. I agree. Apparently. Dangerous. Dangerous. What do you think about um, the the wiener dogs running toward? That was, that funny. was funny. Yeah, that was, that was pretty funny. The Key and Peel thing was funny to me as well. Oh, I love them. No, this it was okay. The commercials. So we say okay. What do you think They're about okay. halftime? What do you think about Coldplay? Were you a little well, disappointed? Some some feel like we're both Coldplay fans. I know Spencer but... bigger than myself, but it was funny because they played and then just got completely tossed aside. Yeah, Beyonce just <laughs> by Bruno Mars, and and then Beyonce comes out and it's over. It's over. Amer- America's queen, Beyonce. Yeah, here's the thing. Also, America's thighs, Beyonce. No, exactly. <laughs> you said thighs, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know she they were Americas. Thigh- she is the Thiesman. She wins the Thiesman every year. <laughs> she wins the Thiesman. That's great. I don't, what is it about that? Like she doesn't wear anything but something that shows off her thighs. The thighs. Yeah. Yeah. Her her uh, outfit. I don't know what to say. Uh, was an homage to Michael Jackson's Super Bowl outfit. Uh, was it? Yeah. From, yeah. It was great. A little throwback. Oh yeah. The lioness in, with her hair. Yeah. Dancing in heels on grass, by the way. Oh, wow. Pretty crazy. Seriously. It was funny to see Bruno Mars and Beyonce, you know, the little dance-off. And then there's Chris Martin and Coldplay kind of like, what do we do right now? My favorite part <laughs> my favorite part of the halftime was when they did the tribute to all of the previous Super Bowl oh, yeah. halftime that was cool. performers. Mm-hmm. Didn't that, that make that you feel really like you're cool. old? Like, oh, hey, yeah. you are so old. You remember yeah, they all showed of these? Michael they were pushing like, "Hey, this is the fiftieth. Let's like cry or something." Quite yeah. a bit, you know. I was like, "I." Did you guys cry? Did you cry it. or anything? I cried when the game ended because f- that means football is over until September. I know. No, no. There's an NFL preseason game in late July. Who cares about preseason, dude? We yeah. all do when that first preseason game. In late July, I, I watch it, and then, I, then like the second series, I'm like, "Oh yeah, this is dumb." <laughs> 
<laughs> this is dumb. Hey, um, are you guys still doing your show? I mean, we are. I, even though you have to recover from we're, last night. No, see, the thing is, we're trying to avoid talking about that until the show starts. We okay, are the good. cold play of BYU Sports, <laughs> but luckily there's no Bruno Mars and Beyonce to get in the way. In I know show. that's true, huh? Woo! Well, Loving it. sometimes. Yeah. yeah. But today you're going to be talking, I'm sure, about the Pacific game. Yeah. We have to. Yeah. Yep. Not so much in detail about, you know, I mean, there are some things that went wrong, but. Some it's, things? It's, it's, it's okay. A lot of things that went wrong, but it's more, it's more important about what, what now for BYU. What does okay. it mean? What does it mean for, for everything else hopes. left? Ugh. Are they done unless they win the Vegas tournament? What did Chase Fisher have to say about that? Some strong comments from him after the game. Interesting. Yeah. That's An- a good Anson show. Winder will break it down in studio with us as well. And he went through this with BYU where it's, they had struggles, clinging, trying, scrapping to get into the NCAA tournament. Where's BYU at with that? I think, I think that's a great show. And maybe what you guys need, if you really want to pick up the ratings or whatever, is you need a Thysman. Or a puppy monkey baby. Well, and so I I think it's pretty much going to be on Jerem's shoulders to either do to either be a puppy monkey baby or a Theismann award winner. Puppy monkey baby. Puppy monkey baby. Mm, There's a good rhythm there. Combine three things that are awesome. I was like, wait, are those awesome? Three (laughs) awesome things. Why did the monkey get thrown in there? Oh, monkeys are cute. They've got a tail. Puppy monkey baby. Puppy monkey baby. The puppy needed a tail. That's why a big long tail that it could grab onto a vine or something. Okay, guys, have a great show. Knock them dead. Good luck with the puppy monkey baby. Puppy monkey baby. Puppy monkey baby. <laughs> Good puppy stuff. Baby. Holy cow. Puppy they're going to have baby. a great show, especially if they can get that puppy monkey baby video ready. Um, boy, that I didn't even remember really the pep, or the the BYU Pacific game. Wow. That kind of brought it down. But they're going to be talking about it on BYU Sports Nation. So stick with them at the top of the hour. Uh, as we wrap this up, just a couple more stories for you. Got to get you... You know, all caught up on all the latest and greatest informations. Hey, for those of you that are in the uh, duh category, British principal tells parents no pajamas on the school run. So when uh, the principal of a primary school in northern England wants to impose a dress code, not on the students, but on the parents, because they're tired of them wearing pajamas and slippers when they drop their offspring off at the school gates. Don't just come in your jammies, folks. We want you to dress up when you drop your kids off. The principal said she acted uh, after some parents wore what she considered nightwear to school meetings. In the letter published Tuesday, she asked parents to dress appropriately in day wear. By the way, same thing with you, Ben. Make sure you keep wearing your – you wear your day clothes to the job. You always wear your footsie pajamas. Not appropriate. Well, I, I do sometimes wear these to class, so I thought it was appropriate. Yeah, okay. Well, you were wrong. Okay. And, and in the category of Buddhist monk gone berserk. Wait, were we in that category? We are now. Okay. This is one that you just won't believe. A Buddhist monk in England slashed the wheels, the tires of 162 cars. After he became angry. And he's angry. Guess why? Because he accidentally squashed an insect. Julian Glue, 45, who lives in a tent in the woods, went on a three-day barefoot rampage because of his religious beliefs. He has now been jailed for 11 weeks after the judge said that his actions were not those of a person who lives for a peaceful coexistence. At court, he pleaded guilty to three counts of criminal damage. He was originally due to be sentenced on October 14th, but failed to show up in court. 
Instead, he went on the run for three months and was finally tracked down by officers in West Yorkshire earlier this month. So 162 cars, their tires slashed. But why? Because he stepped on a bug in the woods. Hmm? You got to watch out for that. As you know, we like to end the show uh, always talking about a hero of the day. Today's hero is Joseph Crowder, a 16-year-old high school student from Farnworth, UK. After floods struck this boy's small town, he used his skills to save his neighbors. Joseph Crowder didn't expect to become a hero the day after Christmas, but thanks to his fast-acting work, his neighborhood became a little safer. Crowder is a whitewater kayaker and canoeist and a qualified swimmer and lifesaver. When he heard a friend about uh, from a friend about the rising floodwaters, he quickly changed into his dry suit and headed down to the flooded river. Crowder swam from house to house, helping an elderly lady to safety and saving his neighbor's cats and carrying furniture out of the water. Crowder said that he just did what he had to be done. I would have done it for anyone. There were lots of people who were upset, and we had to try to be there for them and stay positive. He said, when you've, when you've got people close to losing their houses, you just can't leave. you got to stay and you got to help. Crowder also received praise from his neighbors he helped save, who said, I was in the house on my own. I was just panicking, and, and he kept me calm. He took over, basically, and got me out of the house just in time. Joe was fantastic, and I don't know what I would have done without him. I would have certainly been much worse off. So Joseph Crowder, 16-year-old high school student from the U.K., You're the hero of the day, my friend. Thanks for looking out for uh, the people in your life. We all can be heroes, folks. But uh, you gotta you gotta be willing to do what needs to be done. That's what we why we do this show to give you the tools, the information you need to live healthier lives. If you want, you can go find us on iTunes or look up the BYU Radio app, and you can download all of our past episodes and shows and stream it live as well. We're going to be back tomorrow. So until tomorrow, folks, take care of each other, watch each other's backs, and we'll talk again tomorrow.